Alright, what's good, y'all? Welcome back to the cycle 365. This is episode 29. We are recording on April 16th, 2020. I am one of your co-hosts, Simon Villanos. I'm Cody Stoffer. And I am Jesse Booten. And this is an all-NFL mock draft episode. So, the NFL draft is exactly a week from today, the 16th. So, this is probably the most important sporting event going on right now that matters because the XFL has officially folded. So it sucks. We could talk about that another day. It is what it is. But, you know, we got a mock draft coming to you. And we we did it a special way. We wanted to have some fun with it. So we split the 32 teams among all three of us. So I'm just going to go division by division, you know, and no, hey, feel free to write this down or whatever works for you but we'll i mean we'll also say this is why we pick this person or whatnot when we go down the line but in the afc east i have the privilege of drafting for the miami dolphins cody has the privilege of drafting for the bills jesse has the patriots and i also have the jets in the I afc love that you, say, you don't say the privilege of drafting for the patriots because it's really not yet yeah, It'd be like that, but you know, at least you're not the Jets. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> oh man, we got we got the AFC North. Obviously, I'm drafting for the Steelers. Jesse has the Bengals, and then Cody has the Ravens and Browns. Two really interesting teams, actually. In the AFC South, I will be drafting for the Houston Texans, acting like Bill O'Brien. Jesse will be drafting for the Colts and the Jaguars, and then Cody will have the division champs, Tennessee Titans. The AFC West, Cody will be drafting for the Denver Broncos. I will be drafting for the LA Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs. And then Jesse has the Oakland Raiders. Boom. <laughs> All right, now we're going to switch it up. They're in the not the NFC. Oakland Raiders. They're not the Oakland Raiders oh, anymore. Sorry. They're actually the Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders. So it's better. Or I don't know. Yes, it's better now. Yeah. <laughs> but the NFC East, we'll start there. I'm drafting for them boys, the Cowboys. Jesse has the Washington Redskins, the team that we will buy in the future. Cody has the Philadelphia Eagles. And then Jesse also has the New York Giants. And the NFC North, Jesse will obviously be drafting for the Minnesota Vikings. Cody has the Green Bay Packers. And then I have the, the Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears. In the NFC South, Jesse has the Tampa Bay Bucks, the Atlanta Falcons. I have the Carolina Panthers. And then Cody has the New Orleans Saints. And then finally, in the NFC West, Cody has the Seattle Seahawks and the LA Rams. Jesse has the... San Francisco 49ers, and then obviously I have the Arizona Cardinals. So let's just start. We're going to go 16 picks at a time. Jesse, I believe you're, or no, hold up. Yeah. I am, yes. I'm on the clock. Yeah, you're on the clock with the Bengals. So, That's right. Yep. Yeah, so in uh, approximately uh, one week, so seven days exactly in real life, um, I think this is a pretty obvious pick if you guys would agree with me, right? I mean, First pick for the Cincinnati Bengals. Everyone's been talking about it. I picked. Um, he's the best player in this draft. Plain and simple. He knows how to win. And Cincinnati needs a quarterback. I think Andy Dalton's time is up. And this is the future for them. Anything Absolutely. else? 
I, I just agree wholeheartedly. I think there's not a lot to discuss, and we've talked about it in lots of our other podcasts, that this is the obvious pick here. And uh, nothing really. I mean, this is obvious. They should draft a quarterback here, and it probably will be Joe Burrow, unless they trade down. But, yeah, it should be Joe Burrow right here. That's the other thing we forgot to mention at the front of this. We are doing no trades. This is just everyone has their pick. Yes. Well, obviously, the trades that were made in the offseason are, you know, implemented here. But, yeah, it is it is what it is right here. We're working with what we got. Yeah. So, first pick, Cincinnati Bengals, Joe Burrow. All right. And then I also have the second pick side of the Washington Redskins. Um, I think this is another obvious pick. We all talk about it. Chase Young, defensive end from Ohio State, goes to the Washington Redskins. Um, I picked him because he's the, only, he's the best player in this draft, not a quarterback named Joe Burrow. Um, I think he's just – a man amongst boys, even in college and even in this draft, I think the overall best pick in this draft. And I think the Redskins get a steal at number two. I mean, I think this is what how they fortify their their defense. Agreed. Anything on Chase Young, or is this an obvious pick? Too? I mean, that's all. They're the best players in the draft. All right. And so those are the those are the first two picks that I have. So now we're gonna toss over sign with the Lions. All right. So. This, this is uh, an interesting one because I kind of, I definitely kind of faltered on this pick a little bit because I know two is still there, you know, and then there's obviously a ton of other talent. But I'm going with Ohio State cornerback Jeff Okuda. Uh, honestly, he's, he's the best corner in this draft. And I mean, it shows plain and simple. You know, he had a really good, you know, playoff run. It was really just one game, but he had a good run, in my opinion. And you know, he's, he's a talented player. He's a lockdown guy, and they need somebody to replace Darius Slay at the cornerback spot. But at this position, I also consider Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, there have been rumors that they're, they might be moving off of Matt Stafford, and then they could, you know, uh, trade Stafford for something else. But, you know, I, I think right here they, they keep building on what they got, and they stick with Stafford. I agree that that'd be the move for the Lions. I think that Stafford isn't the problem. And I think that you might even get an upgrade by drafting Jeff Okuda from Darius Slay. Not not in his first year, but eventually I feel like Okuda's ceiling is higher than Darius's was. Agreed. He's getting compared to the likes of Darrell Rivas, so... It's pretty good. Um, I would also, yeah, just like throw in, I definitely agree with you guys. I don't think uh, Matt Stafford is the problem. I mean, he's a consistent pro bowler, I think. I think they need a defense in order to win games. And I think this is, besides Chase Young, the best defensive player in the draft. It is interesting to see that he wasn't the number one guy at the very beginning of the, the college football year. But after seeing him play throughout the college football season, 2019-2020 college football season, he's definitely the number one corner in this draft. So I think that's a good pick. Yeah, agreed. And uh, just just to note, this is an interesting spot at number three as well. This is a spot where that's getting a lot of buzz. Honestly, a lot of teams are looking to trade up here, either for Tua Tagovailoa or even uh, a Justin Herbert, which I don't think would be a great move. But this is uh, a hot spot for trades. I know the Lions are potentially thinking about trading down, and they could. And they might be able to draft Jeff, Jeff Okuda uh, a little bit later, but I wouldn't risk it. So, yeah. All right, moving to pick four, I had the uh, Giants. Um, I think we all agree that they have to go offensive lineman here. Um, but I I mean, this is up for controversy, which offensive lineman. I went with Mekhi Becton out of Louisville. Um, 
a lot of experts don't have him as the first first lineman going, but I watched him in the combine and he I think he weighs 378 pounds or something like that and he ran the fastest 40 out of all of the all of the offensive linemen. So I think that's what that's why I'm with him. The Giants need a tackle that can pull and move and couple him with Saquon Barkley. It's literally just leg day there in the powerhouse, just coming through. Good luck trying to stop them. I agree that that's definitely the, if I'm the Giants, you know, I know that I have a franchise quarterback. I know that I have a franchise running back. So now I got to help them out. And that's by getting them an offensive lineman first and foremost. I think the reason I took him over the likes of Jedrick Wills, um, Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirtz, these other big names that are also said to go just Again, it goes back to like the man against boys. I mean, obviously they're all men, but Makai Becton really impressed me at the at the combine, and I was like, he's the best. I think he's the best best offensive lineman in this draft. He might fly under the radar a little bit, but I definitely think he is he's the guy that I would pick if I was drafting a lineman first with the pick of the litter. So, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, he, his film does look pretty good too. He's. I mean, obviously you have to be an aggressive to be an alignment, al- al- but. No, he has he has a bit of an edge to him, which you know a lot of teams love, and I think he'll fit well next to Will Hernandez and you know like like y'all already said that New York Giants offensive squad. All right. So at number five, I have the Miami Dolphins, and I drafted Tua Tagovailoa. I know there are a number of uh, you know reports that have come out saying that you know Tua is not as healthy as he say he is, and. The Dolphins might be trying to go safe with Justin Herbert, but I'll, I'll just be honest. I think the difference between Tua and Justin Herbert, uh, besides the conference, is you know Tua. Tua has actually improved over the years. You know Justin Herbert, he's good, but he's been kind of like he's flatlined in terms of progression the last three or four years, which is basically his whole college career. And in my opinion, that that just that equivalates to a low ceiling for me. And, you know, uh, even if Tua's hurt, you know, half the time, I would rather take a hurt Tua than a fully healthy Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert reminds me he's giving off some Mitchell Trubisky vibes and some uh, Jay Cutler vibes there. So I think Miami does the right thing here and they take their quarterback of the future and Tua Tagovailoa. Hey, I mean, it was kind of a meme, but it also wasn't a meme tanking for Tua, thinking that he's going to be a top two draft pick, you know, and it's pretty lucky that when they started winning games that, you know, Tua's injury came up because then Tua fell into their lap, honestly, here at pick five. And I feel like it's the pick that they need to make. And I agree that Justin Herbert isn't a fifth pick of the total draft kind of guy. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. We're gonna, I'm going to let you viewers or listeners, I guess, um, in a little subject. We all talk about it, me, Simon, and Cody. We're not as high on Justin Herbert as other people like in the sports world. In matter of fact, I'll tell you, give you a little insight to our draft. Justin Herbert does fall way farther than any anyone expects in our draft, just because that's what we've, we've seen him play. And that's what we think. We think that he, he does not deserve a top, even top 20 pick of this draft. Um, I don't think, like he's a good player, yes, but I think as Simon said, he is definitely at his ceiling right now, whereas Tua has a bunch of room to grow. I might even say Jalen Hurts, who we'll get to later, has a bigger ceiling to grow than Justin Herbert. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, Justin Herbert, he's, I'll, I'll still put this out there, he's a solid prospect, you know, he has a good arm, he has good mobility, he has pretty much no injury history, but the things that really bother me are his intangibles, you know, um, 
I'll just be real. I haven't really seen this guy step up in any big moments, honestly. Like, he's always kind of had a solid squad around him. And, you know, if they get down by a lot, then you can't really expect them to come back at all. I I mean, I think this might be worth looking up, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't have any comeback wins in his college career. You know, and he just he's just not, he doesn't come off as a good leader. You know, Tua, he's, you know, with Tua, we all know that he's a great leader. Because Jalen Hurts was a great leader, but he still beat that guy out. Which and he's still really talented as well, you know. And we've seen this guy lead not only you know in a stacked Alabama team, but a stacked Alabama team with a ton of NFL prospects every year. And he's earned that respect, and I think he's earned the spot right here at number five. Honestly, whether he's healthy or not, so I would have to take him right here. I definitely think it's a high risk for the Dolphins because hip injuries are very inconsistent as far as being treated or treatable. You know, we've seen hip injuries and some great NFL careers. So I do think it's a high risk, but potentially very high reward. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So at number six, I have the LA Chargers. I have them taking offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa. So uh, I'm, I'm not going to link the video. But there, there was this really good YouTube video that compared Tristan Wirfs to Jedrick Wills, who was the other guy I was considering here. And both of them are very good. But Tristan Wirfs is obviously the more, uh, I should say, raw type of offensive lineman prospect. Sometimes his base is really narrow and, you know, he'll get knocked over. But he relies a lot on his athleticism, which is freakish, as shown in the NFL uh, Combine. And I think the Chargers, you know, do Tyrod Taylor some favors here and improve on that offensive line, which they have been making better, you know. And I think this is a great pick right here for the Chargers. They get a young athletic tackle. If they coach him up right, he could easily be a Hall of Famer in my mind. But, you know, they, they have to coach him up right. But this is someone that I believe has a lot of potential to be one of the best offensive tackles in the NFL right away. Or soon, not right away, but soon in like a year or two, I'd say. Yeah, I would agree. I think, I don't know, I think, like I said, I, I picked Mekhi Becton before that, but you can put guys like Andrew Thomas, Jedrick Wills, and Tristan Wirfs. I think they're all going to be, if they're coached right, I think they can all be Hall of Fame offensive linemen. So I think, yeah, we're about to go on a run of these offensive linemen, and that's the first one. Yeah, that's great. Cody, do you have anything to add? Not really. I mean, I feel like offensive line, it, Offensive line has been the problem for the past few years for the Chargers, and they haven't addressed it in the draft. They've tried addressing it by signing old free agents, and I think if they want to compete, they draft an offensive lineman here. I could see them potentially, from the LA Chargers' point of view, they could potentially reach for a quarterback here, but we're the GMs, fortunately, so that's the right pick in my mind, and oh, yeah. you know, in this room, it's the right pick. I think uh, they should look no farther than the Dallas Cowboys and looking what a good offensive line does for you. Because the Chargers have already made some moves for a good lineman. They got Brian Bulaga from the Packers, which is a great underrated free agency pickup. Then they also traded for Trey Turner for basically nothing. And so adding another young offensive tackle into the mix with, you know, the type of guys they already have in there, that'll, you know, it, it all makes a great recipe for a great offensive line in L.A. And, you know, maybe the Chargers could get something going over there. So, yeah. All right, moving forward. 
with the Carolina Panthers at number seven. This is still my pick. <laughs> I have them taking uh, linebacker, middle linebacker, Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson to replace Luke Kuechly. Uh, I'll just be honest. If the likes of Tua Tagovailoa and Jeff Okuda, Chase Young, and Joe Burrow didn't exist, I would think that Isaiah Simmons is a number one overall pick type of guy. He has freakish athleticism. You know, some say he could play safety and whatnot, which is, I mean, sure he can, but, you know, he's a 6'3", 230, 240-pound, like, linebacker, you know, that runs a 4'3", 4'4". So I'd rather have him at linebacker and have that speed there. I think this is a great fit. We talked about Carolina looking for an identity, and Isaiah Simmons has shown that he can be a leader, as as he's shown with this Clemson team that has had a lot of defensive talent over the years. So... I think this is Carolina Panther. This is Carolina's uh, defensive future defensive captain right here. I mean, honestly, it's a match made in heaven with Luke Keekley retiring. That Isaiah Simmons goes to the Panthers. I think he might even get drafted sooner than seven, if I'm being completely honest. But <laughs> I think this is a great fit, and you know, we know Isaiah Simmons can perform on the big stage, as we saw in the national championship game where he played out of his mind. So. And, you know, had Clemson won, he definitely had a chance at being like MVP of the game. So, yeah, yeah I was going to just touch on what Cody just said. Um, I definitely didn't really have him on my radar until the, until the national stages. And that's when he performed his best. He performed really well against Oklahoma in the, um, <laughs> sorry, Cody, Oklahoma in the, uh, the Ohio State. destroying. Well, they played, oh, they played Ohio State. Yeah, we were right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he played really well against Ohio State in the slugfest that they had, um, and then in the again in the uh, in the championship game, I think it just shows that he rose to the occasions and he's built for the national stage, and that's when he rose on my board. So yeah, I think Isaiah Simmons. I would agree with Simon in the fact that if Chase Young's not there and Joe Burrow's not there, he might be the number one overall pick. Yeah, and I think, you know, honestly, this is just a perfect uh, replacement for Luke Keekley. I honestly can't think of a better middle linebacker prospect than this guy, you know. Freakish athleticism, great instincts, you know. Uh, you know, he's a clean guy. So, uh, yeah, I think this is a perfect fit. All right, so at eight, this is still my pick, but it's my last one uh, of this run. I have the Arizona Cardinals, and I have them drafting offensive tackle Andrew Thomas out of Georgia. So I did think about Jedrick Woes uh, Jr. here as well. But, you know, in my, in my opinion, I think they're very close. You know, Andrew Thomas is a little bit more polished than Tristan Wirfs. Not as, you know, freakishly athletic, but way more polished. And, you know, with the Cardinals basically trading for DeAndre Hopkins, I don't think they need a receiver. And so I think the way to go is to grab a lineman that could fit the spread offense that Cliff Kingsbury has and, you know, protect Kyler Murray and uh, continue to build for the future. I think this is the way to go. Um, I mean, I guess if they want, they could take a Jerry Judy here to pair with DeAndre Hopkins, which would just be insane. But I think, I think, you know, this is just me being a little bit more conservative. I'm a big, you know, trenches guy. I like the Cardinals taking an offensive lineman here to protect my boy, Kyler Murray. Hmm. I think to touch on the point you said about them drafting Jerry Judy, I don't think they will do that just because of the fact that Yes, we, I know we've talked about it multiple times. Well, not multiple times, but we talked about it in our season-ending reviews about um, how Christian Kirk took a step back. I think 
having DeAndre Hopkins and Larry Fitzgerald there, so two of the best receivers to ever play in the NFL, I think he will have a rebound season, and I think he can put up the numbers to offset both of those guys. So I think, I don't, yeah, I agree with you. I think they need to go offensive line here, protect Kyler Murray and Kenyon Drake because they, they paid, paid the money to him too. So I think they need offensive linemen, and I think Christian Kirk can have a bounce back year and take over that receiver two, receiver three role. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with Jesse that Christian receiver two kind of guy and his maneuverability around the field to play basically any receiver position, whether that's slot or outside, will serve him better now that DeAndre Hopkins is going to draw one or two defenders on every single play. Very true. Uh, I did think about defense here as well, but uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I think you got to protect your quarterback. We've seen what happened to teams that uh, don't protect their quarterback. So, yeah. Yeah, like, like, like the Cardinals well, a few years ago. <laughs> so, we don't yeah. want... Yeah. What happened to Josh Rosen to happen to Kyler Murray? <laughs> That's very true. All right. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so at pick nine, Jesse back here with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, I took at number nine, defensive tackle, Derek Brown Jr. out of Auburn. He's a monster. I'll just say that. Um, it is terrifying to see him play. He's a mammoth of a man and he can move very well. Um, I think. It's a perfect fit for um, Jacksonville. I know we talked about in free agency that they should sign a guy like Jadavion Clowney. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. So um, go get another one of uh, another great offensive or defense, sorry, defensive lineman. And um, just, I mean, when we saw Jacksonville make their run into the playoffs one game away from the Super Bowl, it was basically based on their front seven, their linebackers and their defensive line. So why not try and build that again? And you can get the best defensive tackle in Derek Brown here at number nine. Agreed. He's honestly the best nose tackle, defensive tackle in this draft. Might be one of the better prospects in the last couple of years. You know, he dominated the SEC. And I think this is an excellent fit. Honestly, he would fit anywhere else in the NFL too. Like he's a, I think he's a very versatile lineman. So, yeah. Yeah. And I agree that it, it also fills the void left by Clayce Campbell yep. this past offseason. I feel like that's one of the most important parts. I feel like Derek Brown, just because of the pure need for offensive linemen in the NFL and the amount of offensive lineman talent has fallen. But I think overall he could bring, like he's more versatile in his value to any team. So Jacksonville would be more than happy to have him at number nine. Yep, and I agree. I think, I think Derek Brown is a upgrade over Clyde Campbell anyway. So I think you'll definitely get more out of him than Clyde Campbell moving forward. So that's why I took him at nine. Cody, take it away. All right. So this is my first pick, I think. It is. Yeah, this is my first pick. And as the general manager of the Browns with the 10th overall pick, I'm taking Jedrick Wills with the 10th pick. I mean, we've brought his name up multiple times and he's arguably the best lineman in this draft. And something that the Browns have is a little bit of luxury with the signing of Jack Conklin to just make their offensive line stronger. And another thing that I like about Jedrick Wills is, you know, I feel like he could play either tackle. So they have some flexibility with wherever they put him, because even though he played a lot of right tackle at Bama, that was to his blind side. So he could easily, I think, play the blind side on the left side as well and keep Jack Conklin over at right tackle. I think the Browns have enough firepower to be competitive, but we learned last year that the offensive line held them back. 
And if you get a guy like Jedrick Wills, who's very fundamentally sound, I mean, you know, that's you could say that for most tackles coming out of the Crimson Tide. He's going to be a day one starter, I think, and immediately contribute to this Browns team that's looking to live up to the expectations that they had last year. Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, Jedrick Wills, like I said earlier, I watched a uh, film on him and uh, this is just my opinion. He has some of the best blocking mechanics in this entire draft class. Honestly, in the, out of all the other draft classes in the last couple of years, he's, his technique is very clean, you know, very consistent. You don't see him, you know, breaking down a lot. And, you know, the times he does, it's because he he's done his film and he's looked at it and he knows the tendencies of other linemen and he's just a very intelligent guy. And you're right, he did block to his uh, blind side. So right here, I think this is a great pickup. You get a guy who could finally replace Joe Thomas and uh, protect Baker Mayfield's blind side. Yeah, simple as that. I think this could definitely push the Browns over, like you could say, that hump that they're always sitting on. Can't quite get over the winning hump, so I think this could be it. Yeah. All right. So at number 11, I have the New Jets, and I'm drafting Jerry Judy right here. Sam Darnold does not have <laughs> a premier wide receiver. And with Robbie Anderson leaving, you know, not that he was a premier wide receiver, uh, there's, there's more of a hole than ever at the wide receiver spot. Honestly, they might even have to draft another receiver in the late of this draft, if I'm being honest. But I think Jerry Judy. This is just my opinion. He is the best wide receiver in this draft, or one of the best wide receivers in this draft out of a ton of great receivers. You know, he reminds me a lot of Odell Beckham Jr. coming out of it, you know, just very explosive, great route running, and fantastic hands. Obviously, he did have the help of the likes of Tua Tagovailoa and a number of other great Alabama offensive players, but I think Jerry Judy's the move right here. You get a guy who could, you know, who brings, who's, who's star power, honestly. You know, he's electrifying. Like I said, he reminds me of Odell Beckham Jr. And he could honestly probably have the same kind of impact that Odell did when he was with the Giants uh, a couple years ago. I mean, the Jets would love that impact because trying to get people to go to a Jets game probably is pretty hard these days. And I think that making a move for Jerry Judy here is like a last ditch effort to salvage Sam Darnold's career. And I think that they have to make a move for a pass catcher to try, like this is their last chance to warrant picking Sam Darnold at three. And if they don't get somebody that's going to help Darnold out, then Darnold's going to be a bust. Like we already know that Darnold isn't good, but it's going to look even worse on the Jets organization if they don't get somebody who can't potentially help him. And they haven't had a star receiver since Eric Decker, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> and Jerry Judy is awesome. <laughs> Jerry Judy's a bigger deal than Eric Decker, so yeah. I think it's completely necessary. To, I mean, I think this is the first like great receiver since Keyshawn Johnson, honestly, played for the Jets, which was a long time ago. And I think that he could have the same kind of flair and produce at a high level. Yeah, no, I think. Jerry Judy, I mean, there's he's definitely one of the top two receivers. I could argue for one of which we're going to talk about on the next pick. But um, Jerry Judy, I think, is a perfect place for him to go in uh, to New York. I think 
people want to see him. I mean, he was on the big stage of Alabama, so why not just take him to the big stage of New York and let him do his thing there too? So I think that's that's the right move. Fair enough. And I think just to put this out there, if there is a lineman available for the Jets to take, yeah. So just putting this out there, if there is an offensive lineman for the Jets to take, I think they would take them here. Um, obviously, in our draft, a lot of linemen just won in the top 10. And all of those guys would be great for the Jets, if I'm being honest, because they haven't had an offensive line in over a decade. So uh, I think that would probably be a little bit more of a priority than uh, potentially Jerry Judy, just because they do have Le'Veon Bell. And that's a contract that's looking worse uh, the less he produces. So, so I picked 12. I had the Las Vegas Raiders. In the 12th pick, I took CeeDee Lamb. The other, the other guy I could talk about as an draft, um, CD Lamb. I think it's tough. It's tough for me to make a decision between who's better between him and Jared Judy. It doesn't matter if you have either. Um, so the Raiders. I'm gonna be honest. Outside of quarterback, anything would have helped on the offensive side. Or sorry, not quarterback. Well, they got um, they got Marcus Mariota, and they still have Derek Carr. So we'll have to see what happens there. But outside of, I meant to say outside of running back with Josh Jacobs. Anything on the offense or offensive side of the ball could have helped. They did re-sign Darren Waller to a massive six-year contract. Um, so that's we'll see how that turns out. But I think adding this dynamic receiver, number one receiver, um, is exactly what needs to happen. So CD Lamb. Out of Oklahoma. Sorry, out of Oklahoma, Cody. There you go. <laughs> well, I was and I was just about to talk about CD Lamb. There is times, multiple times throughout the year where CeeDee Lamb and Jalen Hurts were the only people on offense for the Sooners. So CeeDee Lamb is a guy that could come in where there's a question mark at quarterback at this time. And he's so dynamic after the catch, especially, and where he can take over a game. And, you know, I think it's very rare for a receiver to have that kind of power. But CeeDee Lamb is one of those guys. And I think he's going to be one of those guys for quite a few years in the NFL where, you know, Every few weeks, you might get a three-touchdown or a four-touchdown kind of game. And that's even with him being the number one guy, just because he's so explosive after the catch. And I know that John Gruden is going to find ways to get him the ball, whether it's on screens or drag routes or post routes. You know, He's going to get the ball, and he's going to help the Raiders win games, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, agreed. Honestly, CeeDee Lamb could potentially be what Antonio Brown was supposed to be for the squad last year. You know, you get a playmaker out there for whether, you know, it's Derek Carr or Marcus Mariota. And, you know, you add so, uh, added another weapon to this Raiders offense. You know, they, they hit a home run with Josh Jacobs last year. And I think, you know, going wide receiver is what they need. Tyrell Williams is not a number one receiver. He's a solid receiver, don't get me wrong. But I think if they really want to, you know, make some noise in this division, they got to get a wide receiver, and C.D. Lamb's a perfect fit. Yep. Agreed. Pick 13. Right. Pick 13. The San Francisco 49ers trading up to get this. This is the Force Buckner trade. Um, so the 49ers, they lost the Super Bowl, <laughs> unfortunately. And um, they traded away to Force Buckner to the Colts. This will be the Colts pick, but the 49ers have traded in. And with the 13th pick, I am taking cornerback C.J. Henderson out of Florida. Um, I really think just – I think he's the next best secondary guy after uh, Jeff Okuda. And have him at 13, I think, is a steal for the, for the 49ers. And I just think anybody helps their secondary. I think they need just need to re 
Vamp that secondary after Richard Sherman left. Um, or is he still there? He's still there. Okay, but he's not a number one. He is not a number one type of corner, and he needs help. And I think uh, C.J. Henderson could be that guy to cover the number one receiver and let um, Richard Sherman do his thing. Yeah, and we saw last year in the playoffs, especially their cornerback twos were always really bad. Like if a team was succeeding on the offensive side of the ball, it's because they were going after one backup cornerback after the other. And the Niners just really didn't have answers much at, at the expense of former CU alum, you know, that he's not the answer. And CJ Henderson with Richard Truman getting up there in age is definitely a great pick here. And I think that the Niners are a team where you just have to build strength on strength by drafting on the defensive side of the ball. No, agreed. I think, you know, Richard Sherman, he's, he's not a bad corner. You know, he'll, he'll hold his own sometimes, but obviously, <laughs> yeah, in the Super Bowl, you know, he got exposed a little bit. He's never really been, I would say, like a mince man type of corner anyways, or even the most athletic corner out there in the league, but... No, he's a solid guy. So adding C.J. Henderson here, who's younger, who's way more athletic, you know, I think he'll compliment him well. And, you know, like y'all said, build on that defense, build on your strength, and hope to go on another Super Bowl run this next year or in the future. Mm-hmm. Supposedly. Yep. So um, another pick here in a row. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at pick 14. I've been taking defensive tackle Javon Kinlaw out of South or, uh, South Carolina, yep. Um, I think the bright spot for Tampa Bay last year was yes, their receivers and the amount of passing yards they had, but their defense. Their defense was the surprise and the, the strength of that team. They added Tom Brady in the off season, so that took care of the quarterback situation. Um, running back will be a little, thing, a little bit of an, a thing we'll address later, but I think they just need to build on this defense that they have built on their strength. And- I think the second best defensive tackle or defensive lineman even in this draft to a couple with Shaq Barrett, who led the NFL in um, sacks this year. And they still have Jason Pierre-Paul. So I think, I mean, he's old, but um, I think adding that anchor to the center is exactly what this team needs. Um, Agreed. They do have Vita Vea there too, but like you said, we're going to continue to build on their strengths. And Javon Ken, somebody who's, who's kind of been underrated all season. And even through this draft process, he's been underrated, but he's slowly been rising and he's a quality defensive tackle prospect to take here. I agree. Um, I think it's pretty cut and dry. You know, the, I mean, the Buccaneers can almost draft any position here. And I think that Javon Kinlaw is just the best player right yeah. now. Yeah at this point in the draft so they don't need a receiver but. which is fortunate think, that's true but do you think they could potentially draft a quarterback here quarterback i could see the buccaneers management reaching for justin herbert here yeah but i don't know <laughs> you gotta take the best player and again fortunately we're the gms this would be the best pick to take here plus the bucks are definitely in like a win now position so- want to draft somebody that will start on day one, I think. Fair enough. So, and fortunately they don't need a wide receiver because at pick 15, the Denver Broncos are going to select Henry Ruggs III 
I mean, the Broncos already have a number one guy in Cortland Sutton. Flew under the radar and got into the Pro Bowl after other people were ruled out. But Cortland Sutton, he's going to be a guy where Hawaii is going to be a homestead for him, playing in the Pro Bowl all the time. And Henry Ruggs is somebody who can join him there. He ran a unofficial 4.2740, and that's exactly what the Broncos need for Drew Locke. Plus, I think it's a great fit in a Pat Shermer offense that likes to use the play-action ball, and Drew Locke has the arm to throw it deep. So if you have Cortland Sutton on one side and Henry Ruggs on the other, you can't double one or the other. And Noah Fant, who can run seams up the middle and run any route for a tight end, it makes the Broncos passing attack deadly. Mm-hmm. You also got to think about, they also added Melvin Gordon. So out of the backfield, that's another speed guy that's going to burn burn linebackers, I'll say, on, on wheel routes. And you mean, this just, it's, with Henry Ruggs, it's turned into a vertical offense. Um, and Pat Shermer runs a vertical offense, and I think Henry Ruggs, who was the fastest player coming out of the at, uh, coming out of college this year in the draft, um, would be a perfect fit. Yeah, in Denver, it'd be it'll be fun. It could be back to uh, the Peyton Manning Peyton Manning days with uh, younger Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. That's basically what we're gonna see again. Honestly, potentially even better. I think Henry Ruggs is he's he's a special. Um, wide receiver, honestly. Obviously, two receivers already went, but this guy has elite speed, as we've seen. And even if you look at the game film, like, he has blazing speed going up against, you know, other cornerbacks in the SEC who we will see, or not even corners, but just DBs in general that we will see later on in this mock draft, honestly. And, you know, he has, like I said, he has blazing speed. He's a Deshaun Jackson, Tyree Kill type, maybe even a little bit faster too, but with great hands, great route running, all of it. So I think this is an excellent pick right here. Yeah, he might also be a little bit, for those people that love to make uh, um, Tyree Kill things, he's, I think he's faster and a little bit bigger. So He is definitely bigger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah. All right. So uh, we'll move on to pick 16 here. This is the last one for this segment. It is the Atlanta Falcons, and I have them taking Trevon Diggs, cornerback out of Alabama. Um, plain and simple, they need to they need to replace Desmond Trevon. Um, he's old, and I don't think he's there anymore, even to be honest. Um, so he needs to. They need to draft a corner to yeah fill that hole in the secondary. Yeah, I said I said agreed. I mean, he's a good cornerback. He, you know, he, he had his struggles a lot at Alabama, especially this last year. But you know, he had his ups and downs. And if he was, he's uh, sorry, if he's coached right, which I think he will be under Dan Quinn, who's a great defensive coach, then I think he could be a pretty good starter, honestly, to a pro to a perennial Pro Bowler. So yeah, I agree. I think, and I think Diggs is an even better fit in Dan Quinn's defense than Trufant was. I think that his upside is a lot higher than Trufant because Trufant was just kind of like a starter in the NFL. But I think Diggs could, like Simon said, be a perennial pro bowler. So that does it for the first segment. First 16 picks. First 16 picks. Got them all done. And if you guys are wondering why you didn't hear my beautiful voice this segment, you'll be hearing me a lot ne- a lot more coming up next.
All right, welcome back to the Cycle 365. This is episode 29, and we're going to continue our mock draft starting at pick 17. I have the Dallas Cowboys. And right here, there's a lot of different directions they could go. Honestly, in my opinion, I think it might be in the Cowboys' best interest to potentially trade down, get a couple more assets with uh, their starting center, Travis Frederick, retiring. But if they do stay up here, I have them taking one of the better DBs available, Grant Delpit, safety out of LSU. This is a guy who's honestly, surprisingly enough, a little overrated. You know, he's a good talent and all that. He honestly, I mean, obviously he won a national championship <laughs> and he did this by guarding or not even guarding, guarding sometimes, but, you know, hovering over the middle um, against some great offenses, you know. The likes of T. Higgins, Justin Ross, and Trevor Lawrence, or, you know, even, excuse me, even Jalen Hurts and C.D. Lamb and uh, Charleston Rambo. I think Grant Topit's a great safety. Uh, Grant is a great safety. He's someone who will succeed with the Cowboys. And, you know, this is a team that might be uh, struggling a little bit with Byron Jones leaving. So I think this is a good pickup right here for them. I think Delpit is a plug-and-play guy, and I'm pretty high on Grant Delpit. I think he's going to be a great safety in the league for a really long time just because of how athletic he is. Like, as far as just raw athleticism go, he's one of the more athletic players I've seen at the safety position in the past decade, I'd even say. And not only in the playoffs did he go against some elite talent, but he played against elite talent all year. I mean... We talked about Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, and he faced off against those guys too. So, you know, in, in a tough conference, he shined. And I think that the uh, the big old star, the Lone Star State, deserves a flashy guy like Grant Delpit, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I think, I mean, for obviously the Cowboys are known for America's team, right? And they've been that ever since you know, Deion Sanders and all that stuff, all of the crazy craziness going on, right? Um, and I think as of right now, they're lacking that star, um, that star guy in the star uniform, I guess you could say. Um, so coming out of this, this draft in college, he is the most well-known player besides Joe Burrow, but him and Joe Burrow on the same team. So that's how they get so much recognition together. Um, so I think this is the perfect fit, not only um, like football wise, but also just fan wise, like everyone or everyone that knows Grant Del Pitt and going to Dallas, um, there's just, there's your connection. You know, they're, they're bringing in a guy that everyone knows and they can regain that America's team status. True. Yeah. You're bringing in a star. He reminds me a lot of Jamal Adams, to be honest, in some ways. So, yeah. Um, but like I said, you know, that's if uh, Dallas doesn't trade down because with everything going on, especially with Dak being the way he is, and, uh, you know, this is just a side note, but I know Cowboys fans are low-key turning against Dak after his whole private party thing amidst this coronavirus thing. Uh, I think there's definitely a strong possibility, in my opinion, that the Cowboys move down right here so that they could build other positions or, you know, potentially take a quarterback in the later rounds. You never know. But I think right here, if they do stay here, they got to take the best player available. And in my opinion, on the defensive side, that's Grant Delpit. I mean, Justin Herbert can do everything that Dak can do. So if he's still True. there, we'll take him. But sure. 
You got the next pick as well, right, Simon? Yeah, I do. At number 18, I, it's the Miami Dolphins again. This is their second pick in the first round, and I honestly think they can't go wrong here with taking running back Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin. Uh, here's the crazy thing. Jonathan Taylor, for some reason, is getting projected out of the first round or even out of the top 15, and I realize that here's where I'm taking him at 18, but he's honestly a really talented running back. He reminds me a lot of Leonard Fournette, you know, and maybe a little bit faster and a little bit more durable, but he's somebody that is a three-down guy, in my opinion, and it's it's crazy to even consider this guy outside of the first round because I think he is a great talent. You know, he could be, he could, in my opinion, he's a better prospect than what Josh Jacobs was, and he could probably uh, produce more for them on this Miami Dolphins team. So right here I have Miami taking um the second guy in their backfield in jonathan taylor yeah no i agree with simon i think me and simon uh watched him throughout this last year um play at wisconsin um the only thing i would i wanted to see him do this year is catch the ball out of the backfield um that's the only thing i could see lacking in his first three years of playing at wisconsin and but this year he turned that around and he did exactly what he needed to he caught i think he had four receiving touchdowns this year and that's exactly what i wanted to see it just makes him the complete prospect um i wouldn't i mean he's basically the saquon barkley of this class i think where i think he's just i think he's better than that much better than all of the other other running backs in this class um i think jonathan taylor i mean who wouldn't be happy with drafting Tua Tagovailoa and jonathan taylor in the first round you instantly got your team better on offensive side on the offensive side. I think the Dolphins with those two would have their franchise running back and franchise quarterback and just need to continue to look um, look forward to, to winning games now. Yeah, I think Jonathan Taylor, the nice thing about Jonathan Taylor at this spot is that he's a day one starter, you know? And another nice thing is, you know, there's a lot of concerns about Wisconsin running backs coming out of college just because of their amount of usage. But fortunately, the Dolphins did sign a running back this offseason who can take some of the load off of Jonathan Taylor and make Taylor's career even longer. So it could be looked at as a long-term pick rather than a short-term patch. No, I I agree. I was actually going to bring that up too. I think Jordan Howard could be, you know, first off, an excellent mentor to Jonathan Taylor. But at the same time, he could be somebody who could take some of the load off of – off of Taylor, because yes, he, he's been playing since his freshman year, and he started as a true freshman, and he was fantastic his freshman year, but he has had a lot of carries and whatnot, and, you know, he's, you know, there's some there's been some wear and tear, but no serious injuries, like maybe a couple, you know, nicks and knacks here with ankle with ankle uh, issues, but other than that, I in my opinion, he's a star. I agree that he is the Saquon Barkley of, of this draft. You know, he's a home run hitter. He's somebody who... But honestly, go to the house almost on every play if given that opportunity. And I think, you know, adding him with Tua, that's, I mean, well, what else could you want? You know, you're bringing in more fans, especially the younger fans, by getting flashier skill position guys. And I think this is the the way to go right here. Unless, I mean, there's always, a, you know, the chance that they go defense. But I think right here they want to they wanna get a little flashy and go, go offense right here. Go with Jonathan Taylor. So, yeah. I could see the Dolphins going with a safer pick here. I don't have like an idea off the top of my head, 
But if they draft Tua, which is already like a risky pick, I don't know if they would draft Taylor here, which is also risky at 18. I mean, I guess I think, I mean, I don't know. I think it can be risky in terms of injury history, but if we are talking in terms of talent, I think taking these two are, I mean, it's, it's a home run if they're, if they're good, you know, and they got to be used right. But no, I, I got you though. There, there are definitely a couple other players that they could take here. Like I said, um, pretty much anybody on defense, you know, or maybe they go with another receiver to pair with Devonte Adams. Cause there are plenty uh, still left. So, yeah. Or sorry, not Devontae Adams, Devontae Parker. I know what you meant. Yep. <laughs> uh, anyway, so at 19, we're back to the Las Vegas Raiders again. Um, Adam taking offensive lineman Austin Jackson out of USC. Um, I think they obviously need to get younger on the offensive line. And I think we talked, Cody touched about this um, when we were talking about the Los Angeles Chargers, I feel like the last few years, the Raiders have just been doing the same thing that the Chargers were doing and just trying to make their offensive line out of old free agent linemen. I just don't think that's working. I think with bringing in Marcus Mariota, um, already drafting a guy like CeeDee Lamb and having the backfield, I think this team needs to go younger. Um, And drafting um, a lineman here, I mean, obviously we're outside of the – the top lineman that we had already talked about, but Austin Jackson is still going to get a um, be, be a day one starter and get lots of playing time, and um, I think he can have a big impact for this Raiders team. Okay, I'll go. I don't have a lot of faith in Colton Miller. I know a lot of people weren't a huge fan of the pick at the time, and he's kind of like a penalty machine. Not to the degree that Broncos fans are used to getting penalties called, but, I mean, he does. he is a bit jittery too, Colton Miller is. I think Austin Jackson is better than Colton Miller, and that's with Colton Miller's experience. So I I definitely think that's what they need to do. And we saw the defense kind of trending in the right direction last year, and they have a bunch of really young talent. And the Raiders are basically alternating drafts where they take high picks and then high defensive picks. I think that this is an offensive draft here for the Raiders. Agreed. Um, I'll just be honest. Like I kind of had – a little bit more of a late first to second round grade on Austin Jackson, you know, and he, he's somebody who I realize is an underrated guy. You know, I wouldn't, I mean, obviously this is where he's drafted at at 19, but I wouldn't put him in the same class as a Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick uh, Wills, or Makai Becton for a lot of reasons. But, you know, he's somebody who, yeah, he is better than Colton Miller and he is an underrated guy. And, you know, you keep him in that kind of area, you know, on the West Coast. Well, you know, Las Vegas, same thing. And uh, have him protect whoever plays quarterback there or block for Josh Jacobs, whichever. You know, and I think this isn't the worst pick they could take. I don't know if it's the best pick they could take, but I think this is definitely filling a need. And that's uh, what the Raiders need to do here, start filling needs. So, yeah. All right. Moving on to the Jacksonville Jaguars' second pick at number 20 of this first round. I have them taking Kristen Fulton, the cornerback out of LSU. Um, why not just continue to build on the defense that you already brought in Derek Brown to? Um, I mean, I think they're going to roll with their um, quarterback in 
Gardner Minshew, and they have obviously Linda Fournette on the offensive side, and they have some good receivers, and uh, D.D. Westbrook um, and Chark that came on out of nowhere, really. Um, obviously, I think that they another way they could go here is offensive line, although offensive linemen are kind of dwindling, so that's why I had them taking a defensive player in uh, Chris Bolton, and plus they need to replace um, Jalen Ramsey. They uh, traded him away this this year, and they need a, a corner to replace him. And I think is that perfect fit. I think he is the most like, obviously, Jalen Ramsey in this draft, outside of maybe Jeff Okuda. But um, I think having him fall all the way to, to Jacksonville at their second pick at 20, I think is a, a great pick for them. Not only did they trade away Jalen Ramsey, so they don't have a single cornerback on that roster. And Kristen Fulton... I think that he's a guy who's going to need playing time, you know, to reach his full potential. And this is an ideal fit for both parties because the Jaguars need a cornerback and Fulton needs playing time. So I could see him playing and starting all 16 games this year and being a solid level cornerback by the end of it. Uh, I completely agree. No, he's, he's somebody, I feel like I've said this a lot. He's a little underrated, you know, obviously he was on the LSU uh, championship squad, but he is a good corner. You know, he's went up against some of the best receivers in the SEC in college football. So I think this is a good pickup for the Jaguars. Obviously, you can't completely replace a Jalen Ramsey plus an AJ Boye, but you know, you gotta start taking steps towards uh, you know, patching up that defense and working with what you got. And I think this is a good pick right here. Mm -hmm. I would say he was a little bit exposed in the college football playoffs this last year. Um, we did get get beat a few times, but I think he'll learn from that. And I think, yeah, again, having him in Jacksonville is where he needs to be to get that that experience under his belt. So. No, I agree. And, and he got beat by good players, too. Like, it's not like they're scrubs. You know what I mean? Like, one of those guys is literally right up next. So, yeah. yeah. Cody, take it away. Philadelphia. Well, spe speaking of, you know, LSU, we're gonna. I'm talking about Justin Jefferson going to the the Eagles. They don't have a good wide receiver. I mean, Carson Wentz became the first quarterback to throw for over 4,000 yards without a single thousand yard wide receiver, and that's on any front. So he needs help at the pass catcher position, and they need someone durable. So that's why I think a guy like Justin Jefferson makes more sense than T. Higgins, who's shown to have some like injury history. Justin Jefferson, I think, can be a durable guy who could get a lot of playing time. Because Deshaun Jackson, he's not the same wide receiver anymore. Alshon Jeffrey is over the hump. And, you know, they finally let go of Dropsy McGee. And I think Justin Jefferson could be a reliable target that could come in and catch for a 1,000 yards and help the Eagles win the NFC East. I think that's how much of an impact he could have in this offense. I totally agree. Also, I just realized I said that uh, Christian Fulton has been beaten by Justin Jefferson. They play for <laughs> yeah, the same yeah. team, but I've seen practice videos of this dude getting beaten in practice, and it doesn't look great either. But Justin Jefferson's a good, you know, he's a good wide receiver. You know, he's a good wide receiver. So, yeah, I, I think this is a great pick right here. They, uh, they get a potential number one guy right here in the first round, and if Carson wants someone other than a tight end or a running back to throw to. Yeah, I think I think Justin Jefferson is very much overlooked 
um, has been very much overlooked in this draft process and going into this. But I think Cody got it right with, I think he is outside of CeeDee Lamb, Henry Ruggs, and uh, Judy. Jerry Judy that he's the next best receiver on the, on the board. And he will he'll prove those doubters wrong. All right. Anything else, Cody, on your pick? All right, that moves us to the Minnesota Vikings at 22. Um, this is one of the two picks they'll make in the next four picks. Um, and I have them taking edge rusher A.J. Espinza out of Iowa. Um, he was projected to be one of the – well, he, early in the season, he was definitely projected to be a top 10 guy. He fell out a little bit. Uh, he dropped a little bit on his draft stock. But I still think he's a – Round one talent, and the Minnesota Vikings getting him at 12, having him fall there is a big steal, I would say, um, because, I mean, they did lose Linval Joseph and Everson Griffith. Um, so having both of those guys, basically your whole pass rush gone, yes, they still do have Daniil Hunter, but if you keep him by himself, they're going to be able to double team and triple team him, and he won't be able to get to the quarterback. So adding a prolific pass rusher like A.J. Espenza, I think, to the other side could definitely help the Vikings get some more pressure on that, on their quarterback. That's a good point. And I think something to point out too, with AJ Espenza dropping, it's not necessarily our performance with him thing. It's how much other people rose this past year. I mean, Joe Burrow wasn't even on draft boards before this college football season started. And he ascended all the way to the number one pick. And we saw, you know, the rest of the LSU offense also skyrocket and LSU in general skyrocket just with the success that they had as a team. And I think that is a bigger factor than AJ Espenza's play. I think he's a great player and, you know, it definitely addresses a need for the Vikings with, I mean, the Vikings have had kind of the same core guys for a really long time. And we're just now seeing the turnover, whether it's in age or in contacts. And I think Espenza kind of fits the bill of a lifelong Viking guy who could be there for, you know, eight to 10 years. And then is just a casualty of the contracts at the time. So he could be a lifelong Viking guy. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, so this is just a fun fact, but Jay Espenza, if he is drafted here by the Vikings, would be the first, I want to say, defensive end or edge rusher drafted um in the first or second round by the vikings for the first time in the last 10 years they haven't had to draft one but i think this is a good pickup here you know he he didn't have the greatest senior season it was still solid it's just i think the thing that really hurt his draft stock is that he had zero sacks in the first like four or five games of the season and that kind of that really like <laughs> killed his stock and you know and like we just said other people's stocks rose and it kind of just left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, obviously, because, uh, you know, he's dropped a little bit. And, you know, he's a good player. He's a good prospect. We're on some areas, but I think this is a good pickup for the Vikings here, and they're filling up a spot. All right. I could also see them going offensive line here. Again, we're, we're kind of dwindling offensive linemen that are day one starters, but the Vikings offensive line needs help especially if they're going to try and run the ball with Alvin Cook like they want to. So I think they could go offensive line here as well. But yeah. That's the Vikings. So tell us about the uh, Patriots. Who you got the Patriots drafting, or did you sabotage them? No, I, I didn't sabotage them <laughs> because that's not what we're doing here. Um, with the new Patriots at 23, I took 
Yeter Gross Matos, the uh, other edge rusher out of Penn State, um, that was also up higher with AJ Spin top 10 at the beginning of the year, but also fell out. Um, again, I think the same the same thing about AJ Espinza. Other teams or other players just stock rose over him, but I still think he's going to get after the quarterback. And I think the Patriots, um, we have talked about. It. I think the Patriots in rebuild mode. Um, they lost a guy like Kyle Van Noy who can get some pressure on the on the quarterback. Um, and I think they need if they're going to be able to compete in the NFL this year, they need to get some pressure on the quarterback. Um, they still do have Stephon Gilmore at corner and. Devin McCourty at safety, who are two lockdown guys in the back. But they, in order for those guys to make an impact, they need to get pressure on the quarterback. And I think Yetzer Grossmatos is the guy here to take to get pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, agreed. Um, another big – wait, Big Ten, right? Yes, Big Ten, Penn State. So another Big Ten guy right here. Um, he's, he's an underrated guy. I feel like I've said this about pretty much every player you've selected, Jesse. <laughs> but he is an underrated guy. You know, he played for Penn State. He's a little bit, I mean, I don't know. If you look at his frame in general on the film, he looks a little lanky, I guess. Like, not as filled out as you'd like. But he uses his length. He's like 6'6", 6'7", like really well. Kind of like Julius Peppers, in my opinion, uh, from what I've seen, honestly. And... I think this is somebody that is a really good value pick right here for the Patriots, you know. And this is this is interesting because you know the Patriots could possibly go quarterback or a number of other spots right here as well. Yep, I think I think this is a great fit for a Patriots defense that does use like multiple fronts. You know, I've seen them play four three. I've seen them do three four, and I know that they really like hybrid formations, and that's how you have guys like. Van Noy, who put up the numbers that he did last year from a variety of positions. I think Yetcher will get that opportunity, and I think he'll thrive in the Patriots' defensive system. Agreed. On to pick 24. This is honestly the most exciting pick that I've gotten to have this round, I think. And with the 24th pick, as the New Orleans Saints, Kenneth Murray fell into my lap, and I didn't let him go. I think Kenneth Murray is definitely a linebacker that we could have seen go a lot earlier in this draft, just depending on, you know, what the individual teams think. But if Kenneth Murray is there at 24, I think the Saints absolutely have to pick him. And I think that is a win now draft pick move for the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, I think Kenneth Murray is one of the best, besides Isaiah Simmons, I think one of the best linebackers in this draft. Um, and I think having him fall all the way to 24 is a little bit outrageous. I think a lot of people will say that's where he should go, but I think he's more talent than that. I mean, he did lead an Oklahoma defense that, I mean, we could all agree, maybe not the best defense in the world, um, but to have him locking it down and really showing showing what he can do um, is exactly why he should go here at 24. Yeah. No, I agree. He's a he's a great linebacker prospect, and honestly, this Oklahoma defense was a little underrated. Obviously, they got murdered by LSU, but other than that, they're a they were a little underrated this whole season. You know, they had a new defensive coordinator in Alex Grinch. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's his name. And for those of you who don't know, he used to be the DC over at Ohio State. He got the privilege of you know recruiting guys and. 
developing guys like the Bosa brothers, Chase Young, even and a ton of other people. And I think Kenneth Murray is just the next great Alex Grinch defensive player to be taken right here. And he's kind of a steal, honestly. Like he fits in a lot of other places, but I think the Saints, they really can't overlook somebody of 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 this caliber right here at 24. And I think Kenneth Murray's a great pick right here. Might be the steal of the draft. I mean, it, from, from an Oklahoma's fan, Oklahoma fan's perspective, I'd argue that the only reason that the Super ever worth a damn at any point in the season was Kenneth Murray. And we could see huge changes when he left games due to injury. And that's obviously a concern. And part of the reason why I think he falls back this far is just because of injury concerns. But if he stays healthy, he could be a top-tier linebacker in the NFL because he just he knows the game of football really well. That's all I got for this one. Yeah, yeah, very true. His usage rate is really high, so that I mean that that is uh, there's some concern there. But other than that, he's a good talent. Yeah. All right, at 25, the Minnesota Vikings are back on the clock again. Um, this time, I have been taking AJ Terrell, the cornerback out of Clemson. Um, I think, as I said, they should. I would look. I'd like them to look for an offensive lineman here, but I just don't think there's an offensive lineman worth taking this high. Rather than take a guy that's going to help. I mean, help their uh, team from day one instead of reaching for an offensive lineman. So I have them taking a corner. We can see that Xavier Rhodes isn't what he used to be, um, and I think they need to get a guy that can really lock down some receivers. I mean, they still have Harrison Smith there, who will never age. That's what me and Cody always joke about. Harrison Smith will never <laughs> be a great safety. Um, and just give him some help help in the backfield. Um, Xavier, like I said, Xavier So add another big physical guy like A.J. Terrell to come in and help, help Harrison Smith in the, in the secondary for Minnesota. I agree. Uh, I know the Vikings have been drafting corners a lot in the first round the last couple years, but I think AJ Terrell might be the one that sticks because he's, I, I want to use a word other than underrated. He's honestly not underrated because in the national championship game that he played in two years ago, he picked off Tua Tagovailoa for a pick six. Uh, I just want to put that out there. And he also shut down the likes of Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. Um, and Josh Jacobs sometimes when he was out there. So AJ Terrell, Terrell, he's somebody who's, you know, who has a lot of experience going up against some wide receivers. He did struggle a little bit in the playoffs against Justin Jefferson and uh, that LSU team. But, you know, who he did struggle a little bit in the college football playoffs against the likes of Justin Jefferson. But, you know, who did it? And... I think this is somebody who's extremely athletic. You know, he did have his struggles, like I just said, in the playoffs. But if you look past that and look at last year's playoffs and his body of work in these last couple of seasons, he's uh, a number one quarterback type of guy. And just to build off of what you said, Simon, you know, you mentioned the Vikings have been taking cornerbacks in the first round a lot. And that's because they haven't gotten it right. But I think AJ Terrell could be the cornerback that finally turns around this bad habit almost of taking cornerbacks too early or taking the wrong cornerback. And I think AJ Terrell has a bigger body of work than some of the other guys like Trey Waynes or um, 
It's based on the McKenzie other. McKenzie Alexander. I think he has a bigger body of work to look from, and I think he's more proven in said body of work. And it's not so much as a developmental thing at the NFL level versus just his chance to go on to the next level. Yeah. All right. Simon, give us Miami's third pick of the first round. Sheesh. So I'm back. <laughs> um, I, just for the record, I really wanted to take AJ Terrell right here because, uh, oh. like I said, he's a great corner. But obviously he's not here, so we'll go with his teammate on the other side of the ball. Wide receiver T. Higgins out of Clemson. So, I already mentioned how, you know, the Dolphins could potentially want to pair, uh, oh my God, Devontae Parker. I almost said Devontae Freeman this time, <laughs> but pair Devontae Parker with another wide receiver. And I think this is the guy that they will pick right here. Honestly, if any of the other wide receivers that were just drafted drop right here, that would be great picks as well. But I think T. Higgins is the one that they want to take right here. Um, he's a big body receiver. The only, I mean, we've talked about this in previous episodes. The only real concern here is his durability slash maybe even toughness. You know, there are times he would go out of the game for seemingly no reason because then he'd come back and look perfectly fine. And maybe there's something we don't know or whatever, but he's a talented wide receiver. He's someone who who's athletic for a 6'3 guy, 6'3 over 200 pounds wide receiver. And uh, I mean, I think they continue to go offense right here and uh, help out to Otago Vailoa, give him another weapon. Okay. Um, yeah. I. It's just hard for me and I struggle to look, like overlook the fact that in the biggest game of his career in his life, the national championship, you're going to go out because your arm hurts or something, you know, and then come back in a few few quarters or a few plays later even and be completely fine i just don't i don't know if i want that on my team i think that's why he falls so far um and that's why again i take a guy over justin jefferson instead of t higgins um it's just yeah just that durability i don't even know if it's durability just like mindset and toughness i think that's what is hardest for me to to overlook but i think he is the perfect fit um in in miami um they need a big body receiver because they have a bunch of guys and um, so to have a big guy would just change the dynamic of the offense. Yeah. And I, I even talked about it a little bit earlier with the Justin Jefferson pick that, you know, as far as talent-wise, T. Higgins could go at 21, but I, I felt Justin Jefferson was the safer pick. And that's what I did. No, I, I agree. Honestly, if any of those receivers drafted before T. Higgins were still available, I would probably take them over T. Higgins. Now the toughness, it, it is a big thing, but, you know, he he does have talent. And honestly, I probably would take LaVisca Chenault too right here if he didn't tear his abs a couple months ago. So uh, that's a shame. But, yeah, I think T. Higgins, you know, he, he still has upside. I think toughness slash durability, all that comes with maturity. And, you know, as far as I – as I could see, Brian Flores, he's a great coach, a great leader, and he's somebody that could hopefully shape him up. If not him, then maybe even Devontae Parker or uh, anybody else on this team. You know, Maybe even Tua could do it. Now, we'll see. Maybe he plays differently under Tua than he does with Trevor Lawrence. That would be interesting. But, uh, yeah, he's still talented, no doubt. But there are some issues here as well. We are getting the later you know, parts of this mock draft, so... No one's perfect. 
Yep. That we're, and, you know, the Dolphins are the last kind of bad team of the first round just because of trading of picks. So we're getting to the actual <laughs> former playoff teams and even potential Super Bowl contenders for next year. And to kick it off, I have the Seattle Seahawks at 27, and I'm going to take Xavier McKinney. You know, the last time that we saw the Seahawks in the Super Bowl, they had dynamic safeties at both positions, and they had dynamic defensive backs. I think bringing in Xavier McKinney, he's a guy who he could play cornerback if he needs to, and he could excel at safety. And I think that that's part of the identity that the Seahawks have under Pete Carroll and just like the last decade. I think that they, if they want to compete for an NFL championship, they have to return to not only having talent at that position, but also the identity is really important with this pick as well. Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, uh, the Seahawks, they haven't been the same, obviously, since uh, the Legion of Boom disbanded, but I think this is a good step in that direction. You continue to add talent on the defensive side of the ball and, you know, hope to make a run into the playoffs again. I mean, they haven't re-signed Jadavian Clowney yet, which is concerning, to say the least. Um, and if they want to compete, they're going to need to continue to build the defense up. So having, adding uh, Xavier McKinney is, is what needs to happen in Seattle, um, especially just uh, just a glaring glaring thing that they haven't re-signed uh, Jadavian Clowney yet. So this, this is at least a step in the right way. Yeah, and if they don't re-sign Jadavion Clowney or Unsaw, I don't think they've re-signed either of them, then we could see the guy who I'm going to talk about next going to Seattle. But the time being, Xavier McKinney's the pick. Yes. Up next for the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens, I think, get a steal here at pick 28, and they just continue. I mean, the Ravens... They just have built strength on strength on strength this whole offseason. I think that that doesn't stop as they pick up Kayla Vaughn. Oh, how do you say that? Chasen? Chasen. Kayla Vaughn Chasen from LSU. And we got another LSU defender in the first round here. And I think that he could be a day one starter for the Ravens. But the nice thing about going to the Ravens is he doesn't necessarily have to be. He could be a rotational guy. And I think that's where he could excel. Because... Part of the reason that Caleb Vaughn is all the way back here at the end of the first round is because he tore his ACL a couple years ago. But I wouldn't be concerned about that. And I still think that, and I and that's part of the reason I think he's a steal all the way back here is because of how well he performed following the injury. And he's just an absolute freak. I mean, he's 6'3", 254 pounds. And, you know, he's an athletic guy too. And I think that he can contribute to this Ravens team immediately and, you know, eventually become a continuous Pro Bowl player for the Ravens. So, the Ravens did pick up a lot of front seven guys in this last offseason, but all of them are veterans, they're older guys, so it's about time they pick a younger, you know, pass rusher in the draft, and this is somebody who has seen his stock rise with the national championship win that LSU got, so... I think this is a great pick for Baltimore right here. He doesn't have to play right away, but he can sit a little bit, learn from some of these vets, and, you know, really refine his game. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings me to my next pick, the Tennessee Titans at pick 29, and I have them taking Big Al out of Mizzou. He's a, 
He's a tight end and he's 6'5", 258 pounds. And he moves pretty fast. He ran a 4.49 at the combine. And this fills a hole both at the pass catching position because there's not really a number two guy in Tennessee as well as the hole left by Delaney Walker. Yeah. True. Big Albert O, as uh, the announcers call him. He's uh, he's a really good receiver, receiving tight end, I should say. I know he could block a little bit, but that's not really what he's used for. And I think adding him to this Tennessee tight end's uh, offense would be great, you know, because then you could run more two tight end sets and you have a threat at tight end who could honestly serve a role a lot like what Gronk did for the Patriots. Uh, in my opinion, he might even be a little bit more athletic than Rob Gronkowski, in my opinion. And he's stronger than what Noah Fant was uh, last year, at least. And I think this is somebody who, like, athletically and just physically, he's he's a freak. You know, he's he's huge. He's fast. He's quick. He has fantastic hands. And, you know, he'll, he will win jump balls. There's no doubt about it. He bailed Drew Locke out a lot of times in college. So this is a great pickup here for Tennessee. Yeah, I think Tennessee, obviously we saw what the running game can do um, this last year. I mean, it carried them to the AFC Championship um, with Derrick Henry. Um, and they re-signed Ryan Tannehill to a big deal. So they definitely want to roll with him. And I think they need to get him some help um, throwing the ball. I mean, obviously he's not going to throw the ball 100 times a game. Um, but... They need to give him a guy, a safety outlet that he can throw the ball to. Um, Tajay Sharp has moved on to Minnesota. So that does leave a hole for another receiver to just come in and take over that that um, role of, of safety blanket, I want to say. Because obviously we've seen uh, other receiver in Tennessee. Corey Davis? A.J. Brown. Corey Davis. Corey Davis. Okay. Um we see that Corey Davis is kind of a bit of a slump right now, and Corey, da- um, he needs to, you know, have bounce back here. But I think having an extra receiver on the field to draw a little bit more—I um, don't know—you could say linebacker uh, presence. I guess you could say could help help also Corey Davis have bounce back. And I could see Big Al having needing a cornerback or a safety thrown on him too just because of his combination of size and speed. So. Great pick right here. Does that do it for everyone's opinions on Big Al? Yes, he's a Tennessee Titan. All right. With the 30th pick, this is my last pick of the first round. I have the Green Bay Packers. And with the Green Bay Packers pick, I'll be taking the third quarterback of the draft. So as Jesse mentioned earlier, Justin Herbert, was going to fall into the later part of the first round, and here he is going to Green Bay. And I think this is a good pick because by going to Green Bay, he has time to grow, and we could see an Aaron Rodgers-esque situation where you know Aaron Rodgers got drafted by the Packers who already had Brett Favre, and he was given a couple years to develop. And having a mentor with an all-time great in Brett Favre ended up being beneficial for Rodgers. I think the same thing could be said of Justin Herbert because I know that there's a lot of questions about Justin Herbert's maturity and, you know, he stayed that extra year at Oregon to develop and he kind of just stayed the same or possibly even regressed. And I think going into a situation where 
he doesn't have to be the day one answer is the most ideal fit for Justin Herbert. And I think that's why the Packers take him here. Just looking ahead into the future, I think they want to contend with Aaron Rodgers being at the twilight part of his career. And I think Justin Herbert's a great pick for them as well. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I don't. I mean, honestly, there there aren't a ton of quarterbacks, in my opinion, that could go this late in the first round right here. You know, we already talked about it. Justin Herbert has first round. I'll say he has first round ability. I don't know about first round talent because, in my opinion, talent is like decision making, leadership, all you know, all of it wrapped up in a little bow. Justin Herbert, he is raw in a lot of areas, but he has. He does have the physical ability to to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, and I think it will do him some good to sit behind Aaron Rodgers, learn from one of the best, uh, you know, develop his leadership skills and his on the field presence. Because Aaron Rodgers is arguably, you know, one of the best, you know, in the NFL at doing that, at just taking over. And so, I think this is as good a fit as any for Justin Herbert, and I am comfortable with him getting picked right here, right before the round ends. Yeah, I could also see Packers going offensive line. Um, they did lose Bakhtiari in free agency, and he was kind of a cornerstone for that Packer offense, so I could see them going offensive line. But again, I'll reiterate for the, I don't know, third or fourth time, there are, it is a, a thin thin draft of um, very good offensive linemen at this point. Um, so I think you could get a guy like Justin Herbert and develop him him and uh, he could be I don't want to say the next uh, Aaron Rodgers but he can definitely learn and grow and maybe be an NFL quarterback after Aaron Rodgers yeah. yeah so big surprise here probably for a lot of our listeners to hear Justin Herbert fall this far but this is the best situation for Justin Herbert is going to a team that doesn't need him to play right now yeah, and this is our honest grade. This is our honest grade of Justin Herbert as as a an organization. The Cycle 365 grades Justin Herbert as the 30th overall pick. And even then, that might be a reach, but yeah. it just made a lot of sense for the Packers. Yep. Yeah. All right, and that brings us to the 31st pick, the San Francisco 49ers, their real pick. Um, Super Bowl runner-ups, again. They uh, did take a cornerback in C.J. Henderson earlier in the first round. And they're going to continue to build that second secondary, like I said. And with the 31st pick, they're going to take Anton Winfield Jr. Um, safety out of Minnesota. I know Simon is going to say he's an underrated guy, like all my picks have been. <laughs> um, but he's 100% right. I think this guy is overlooked a lot. Um, but Simon is also very high, and I'm sure he has a lot to say about him. But I think this is a guy who um, will play – Play bigger than everyone expects him to. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll just be honest. Like, he deserves to be a first-round pick with, you know, the, the hard work he's put in and all he's done for that Minnesota program, honestly. And he's a great football player. It's not just, you know, his name that is carrying him up into the first round or even into the NFL draft. It's the fact that he's a great player. He had something like, like an insane amount of interceptions last year. Uh, over five for sure, which is, which is a lot, you know, from, from the safety position, and you know he's undersized, like you said. I think he's only maybe five nine, or so, but he is a, 
he's a great you know um what should i say he's a great defensive player to put back there he's a great leader i think he complements that san francisco 49ers defense well yeah i think i mean he was definitely the face of minnesota football and you know he he put them on the map i i think because he played big in the biggest games of the year and i think that he could be even better than his dad who played in the nfl and i, I think it's especially important that the niners replace jimmy ward just because i don't think that jimmy ward's a very good safety he gets caught kind of sleeping in the outfield quite a bit and you're not going to have that happen with antoine winfield jr true yeah. he could, he's also really good in man too I think that's uh that's something to throw out there as well yeah so he could come up and play nickel yeah i think a lot of people who don't follow college football would realize that minnesota was one game away from being playing ohio state in the big 10 championship um they lost to wisconsin in their last game of the season which isn't a bad team to lose to yeah, anyway um oh. but i do think that obviously anton winfield had a big part in that um and yeah, I think, again, the reason I'm taking him here, two or four nights taking two secondary guys in the first round is that's where we saw they lost Super Bowl, really. It was getting shredded through the air. So I think having two guys to come in and rebuild that secondary is exactly what needs to happen. Winfield played out of his mind against Penn State. That's when he became a first-round talent to me. That's all I had to add on. Agreed. All right, so... The last pick in the first round, we have the Super Bowl champs, the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, I think this pick is pretty obvious because uh, they did not <laughs> they did they did not retain any of their starting cornerbacks. They lost Bashad Breland. They lost Kendall Fuller back to the Washington Redskins. I don't know how you could let that happen. So I think it's obvious here. They have to draft a cornerback. And so they're taking, is it Virginia Tech cornerback? Oh, Virginia. sorry, Virginia. I don't know why I was thinking Virginia Tech. But they're taking Virginia cornerback Bryce Hall. He's a solid guy. You know, he's athletic. He plays the ball well. And, uh, I, I mean, honestly, you just got to you gotta get somebody back there <laughs> at the cornerback position for y'all to repeat or, you know, get back into competing. So I think this is the move for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, I will say um... – I think to get Bryce Hall at number 30 is a, a steal. Um, he was projected for most of the college football season, one overall corner taken. Um, he slid a little bit because um, of his play at the end of the season. Um, Virginia was, I mean, they did go to the ACC championship and play Clemson, um, but they didn't really stand a chance. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and, but, so, I mean, that just shows that he, the whole team really, Virginia, the whole Virginia team slipped up a little bit. And unfortunately, I think that took took Bryce Hall's stock down. Um, I don't think he's a bad player. I think he'll, he will be a day one starter for Kansas City if they take him here. And I think he will be a long time NFL starter at, at the cornerback position. So I think he's a great pick. See, I, for a second, I thought you might say long time cornerback for the Chiefs. And I, I was going to say that doesn't exist. <laughs> Because they don't like to hold on to the talent, but I mean, when they're able to just pull talent out of a hat like a magic trick, I mean, they get lucky. We'll they they get lucky, and I think they get lucky again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
No, agreed. And, you know, honestly, he is somebody who, you know, could potentially go ahead of a Trayvon Diggs or Kristen Fulton, you know, but he, I guess he didn't play as tough competition as them and his team didn't have as much success. But individually, as a player, I think he he's pretty solid and this isn't a bad pick at all at the end of the first round. And I mean, honestly, like I said, any corner, well, maybe not any corner, but almost any corner could go right here to the Chiefs and they wouldn't be doing anything wrong. Yep. All right. Is that it? That, yeah, that does it for the first round. First 32 picks in. When we come back, we will start the second round. So join us for that. Tell me if you want to stay tonight. Tell me if you want to stay Welcome back to the Cycle 365, episode 29. Our mock draft continues um, with the real NFL draft only a week away. So exciting times. Um, so we're going to get started here in round two with the uh, 33rd overall pick. It is the Cincinnati Bengals once again on the clock. And I have them taking offensive lineman Josh Jones from Houston. Um, in the first rounds of day one, the Bengals would have gotten their franchise quarterback in Joe Burrow. And obviously, if he's going to be your franchise guy, and I think he can be, you need to protect him. So going and getting a young guy like Josh Jones is the play here. I mean, they have to really build. I mean, we have to build this whole team, basically. <laughs> so um, having a young cornerstone on the offensive line could definitely help. So. Josh Jones, first first pick in the second round. Is he an offensive tackle or is he a guard? I don't. Sorry, I'm not. Uh, he, he, he can really play either, so I think that's why the versatility will work for for the Bengals in a rebuilding situation where they could obviously get him and plug him in somewhere, and then continue to build around him wherever they need him to fit. Sure, fair enough. Because I know the Bengals did draft. Uh, um, uh, the tackle Jonah Williams out of Alabama last year, but he tore his ACL like in preseason or training camp, so he didn't play all year. So they'll be getting him back, but I think this is a good pick as well. You know, you just I, mean, I don't know, you just add more bodies on the offensive line, continue to improve. What more could you ask for? I don't think there are a ton of linemen here that they could go after unless they're looking for interior guys, which I don't know that they need immediately. So, yeah, solid pick. I think this is this is a great pick. And if we think about when the Bengals were a good franchise, you know, back when they made the playoffs and lost in the first game every year, it's their offensive line had a huge part of it. I mean, that was back when Andrew Whitworth was on that team, I'm pretty sure, and he was pretty good. So, you know, they've, I feel like, now is the best time to learn from their lessons of letting all their offensive linemen go. You know, I think that Josh Jones, you know, he, they could put him at guard and they could put him next to um, Jonah Williams and form an, a borderline elite side, entire side of a line. And I think that would be ideal. And, you know, drafting a guy like Josh Jones where he can play guard, I think that'd be a good move for also Joe Mixon, you know, to – finally get onto a national platform with an elite level of play with good offensive linemen in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. So that brings us to um, the 34th pick, which is the Colts first pick of the 2020 draft after trading four um, 
DeForest Buckner. So here we go. With their first pick, they're going to take wide receiver Jalen Rager out of TCU. Um, I think this is, I mean, it is their first pick, so it's an obvious first pick. They went and got a quarterback, a more of a win-now quarterback situation in Phillip Rivers. Um, they have Marlon Mack. They, have, they retained most of their offensive line, which is was part of their um, their strength last year. And then they went and got DeForest Buckner. So they solidified their their defense because um, they were a great defense last year as well. So to add him is going to be even better. And the, so the one glaring thing that they need is a receiver. And T.Y. Hilton isn't getting any younger. Um, he's starting to get injured a lot more. And Jalen Rager um, is, again, a great uh, receiver that w- would fit in in this Colts offense. Um, he can do everything. He can return kicks. He can play in the slot. He can play out, out wide. Um, he can really do He can run the ball. Even. He's, he's, he's been a running back. I've seen him play quite a few times at TCU. So I think this is a good pick for the Colts. Yeah, and the nice thing about drafting, you know, a guy like Rieger here instead of Chanel is you know that Rieger's going to be ready to go on day one. And I think that that's what the Colts need. And I mean, getting Phillip Rivers is a win now move, right? Mm -hmm. But Rieger's a guy that could help Rivers win now and stick around for Jacoby Brissett if they're able to hold on to him too past Phillip Rivers. Um. I mean, you kind of brought it up already. If LaVisca Chenault was healthy right here, I think LaVisca would probably be a better pick. But I think this is a good one too, just because they're going with the theme of speedy, you know, quick, shifty receivers. They already have Paris Campbell over there. We know they've been having uh, T.Y. Hilton. So I think this is a solid pick for the Colts. They give, excuse me, they give Phillip Rivers uh, another weapon to throw to who could create off the catch. Speaking of LaVisca Chanel, who you got up next, Simon? So I have the Detroit Lions at 35, taking LaVisca Chanel. Um, <laughs> I know I made this pick, but I, I'm not as sure of it looking back now just because I know they have Kenny, Kenny Galladay and uh, what's his name, Marvin Jones Jr. there still. But I think this is kind of a good like value pick. You know, because when Chenault was good, when he was healthy, you know, before the injuries that happened recently, you know, he was honestly a first round, borderline second round type of guy. You know, big physical wide receiver who could run a little bit. He had a lot of comparisons to uh, what NKO Harry was in college as well. And he was a first round guy last year. And I even think Oviska might be a little bit better than him, but he got hurt. And if, assuming he comes back, you know, at full strength and where he was before. I think this is a great steal potentially right here for the Detroit Lions. And maybe they could trade Marvin Jones somewhere else because he is getting older while, you know, he still has value. And I think this is somebody that they could add in to the Detroit Lions offense and give Stafford another weapon to work with. I mean, there's nothing wrong with giving Matt Stafford a 5,000 yard pass or another weapon, but you know, and before the injuries, I even heard comparisons of LaVisca Chenault to Julio Jones, just in how much body control he has and how well he uses size to his advantage. And CU used LaVisca out of the wildcat. They handed him off the ball on end arounds. They were throwing him screens, deep balls. Like he's really a guy who can do it all when he's healthy. I do 
agree, however, that it is a pretty high risk pick here this early in the second round to take LaVisca. And just with recency bias, I could see LaVisca falling to the end of the second round, maybe even the third round come drafting. Yeah, yeah no, I, I definitely agree. I think instead of LaVisca right here, they potentially could go defense. You know, um, Matt Patricia's a defensive kind of guy. So that could always be a possibility, a good possibility. But yeah, I think I think this is a good. It's not the worst spot where they could take Lavisca. I think the worst spot they could take Lavisca would probably be in the first round, at all. You know, I mean, this still isn't that far off. But like I said, if he's right, he comes back healthy, then this is a steal. Yeah, it's perfect build off what I, what I was gonna say about him. Um, I've watched him his whole career. As a as a CU fan and season ticket holder, so you're right. If he comes back healthy and 100, percent he will. I think this will be the steal of the draft. I mean, I think we are looking at the next Julio Jones if he's fully healthy and remains healthy as long as Julio Jones has. He has the same exact intangibles as Julio Jones. He's he's a little bit bigger and a little bit faster. So I mean, if if he comes back right, he's I think he's a top 15 talent if he comes back um, completely healthy. Um, but obviously it is a high risk, high risk, high reward or uh, pick. But I think, yeah, you get the next Julio Jones if he comes back right. So that that is plain and simple. Agreed. Um, yeah, so that brings us to the 36th pick. Um, the New York Giants are back on the clock. And with that pick at 36, I'm taking Curtis Weaver, edge rusher out of Boise State. Um, I think he is a little bit of an underrated player and overlooked player because he plays in the Mountain West Conference um, with Boise State. But Boise State did have a monster year this last year. And um, a lot of it was due to Curtis Weaver getting pressure on the quarterback. He, I think he is the best non-Power 5 player in this draft. Um, he has been a consistent... He's played, played for all four years. Um, and he's been, been a consistent sack person. He has gotten double digits and almost double digit sacks in almost all of his seasons played at Boise State. So I think the Giants um, looking for a pass rusher. This is the guy they take. And I think he could be a first round talent. Falling to them in the second round is a great, great value pick. And we saw the Giants address the interior defensive line last year in the draft with Dexter Lawrence, I believe. Yeah. And, you know, you have a good point about pointing out that he's definitely overlooked because he's from Boise, but Boise has been putting out some pretty good defensive talent these past few years. I mean, you have Venderesh who got drafted, I think in the first or second round a few years ago, and he was a day one starter for the Cowboys. And he's a part of the reason why the Cowboys will be good this year. And so I think that Curtis Weaver's in a very similar position. And I think that the Giants absolutely have a need for an edge guy. I mean, they haven't had an elite edge rusher I mean, they had Olivier Vernon, you know, and then they had like Jason Pierre-Paul without all his fingers. All his yes. fingers, yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I, I, I genuinely think that the last great edge rusher for the Giants was probably Michael Strahan. So that was a long time. Ago. Justin Tuck. He was an interior lineman. Are you sure? I thought he was a defense vent. He played inside more often. Okay. And that's what oh, he played for the Raiders too. 
But I think Curtis Weaver could be the next, not Michael Strahan, obviously, but he could be a guy on pair with JPP or as far as impact goes on a Justin Tuck bubble or Olivia Vernon. So, sure. Um, I think you missed one other Boise State uh, defensive player that's been good in the last couple of years who also plays for the Dallas Cowboys, Demarcus Lawrence. You know, he plays defensive end as well. And I see a lot of uh, Demarcus Lawrence, uh, sorry, a lot of Demarcus Lawrence and Curtis Weaver, honestly. And I mean, I'm not going to say he could be as good as him, but you know, Demarcus Lawrence did take, yeah, he, he took a little bit of time to develop. And I could see possibly the same with Weaver here, but I think there's a lot of upside to this guy right here going to the Giants. And, you know, right here, the New York Giants continue to build that defense and get better. So moving forward. We have the LA Chargers, and right here, this is, I mean, y'all have been listening to it so far, so it's probably already surprising, but right here, I finally have quarterback out of Utah State, Jordan Love, going here. So, a lot of people do have Jordan Love projected in the first round, and I think it's for the same reasons Justin Herbert is projected in the first round, but, I mean, I see a lot of similarities. I think Jordan Love is a little bit of a better leader, but the you know, the competition he played wasn't as good. You know, he, he played for Utah State, so there you go. But he does have a great arm. He is mobile, maybe a little bit more mobile than Justin Herbert and uh, some of the quarterbacks taken so far in the in this mock draft. But he's somebody who's raw. He doesn't have to play right away. I think if he goes to a situation where if there's even a possibility of him playing right away, you know, that might, that might hurt his development. But I think with the Chargers, I firmly believe that, and they firmly believe that Tyrod Taylor is their guy for now, and he probably has that position on lock for this season, as far as I know. And so I think Jordan loves a great pick right here. You get to, you know, give him a couple more years to develop behind Tyrod Taylor. And I think their play styles are pretty similar as well. And hopefully they might have their quarterback of the future right here if they play their cards right. I agree. And, you know, I definitely think that we have the quarterbacks drafted in the right spots as far as how far along they fall in the draft. Jordan Love is not a first-round talent. hes I don't think he's going to be a franchise guy as it stands right now. But as you said, the Chargers think that Tyrod Taylor's their guy, and I think Jordan Love would be a good backup and potentially a good answer in the future. Yep. Um, I know we talked a lot about how it's crazy that these guys have fallen this, this far, but again, we are giving them honest grades as um, GMs, like we're drafting as the, the team's GMs. Um, unfortunately for for real life NFL, I think teams are gonna reach for both of these quarterbacks in Jordan Love and Justin Herbert to take them in the first round. And I just don't think that they're they're valued at those, those picks. Um, but I do, um, I do think that this is where Jordan Love needs to go because yes, he is a very raw prospect. And um, I would, I mean, obviously this is not the best comparison, but I would say more of a Tyree Jackson type, Jackson type of guy, um, where he has, he might be a little bit better and more matured and better leader than Tyree Jackson and Jordan that Jordan Love is. But um, he needs a lot of, of work before he's going to be an NFL starting quarterback. So I think going and learning behind Tyra Taylor is a very good fit for him, and he can learn a lot from Tyra Taylor in the Chargers offense, and yes, in the future, maybe take over that offense. I agree he's 
I mean, like I said, he's wrong. Not that he can't pass or run a little bit or he doesn't make good decisions, but, you know, I think he needs to get used to playing on that next level, you know, because he, I mean, you know, as it is, he didn't really play against great competition and he needs to sit, you know. And plus, I'd rather take Jordan Love here and have Tristan Wirfs too than take Jordan Love in the first round because Tristan Wirfs definitely isn't going to be at 37. So I think this has to be the move if I'm the Chargers. Yeah. Right. So moving forward, we have the Carolina Panthers, my pick again. And I have them taking tight end Bryson Hopkins out of Purdue. Anyways, Bryson Hopkins is one is arguably the best tight end in this entire draft. And yes, he is out of Purdue. Um, <clears throat> so I've looked at film on him and Alberto out of Missouri and compared the two tight ends. Bryson Hopkins, I would say, has a lot of the same receiving ability as Alberto, but he is known to be a much better blocker than him. So if I'm just being honest, I would probably have taken Bryson Hopkins over Albert O if I had the Tennessee Titans, just because he's a little bit more complete. You know, Hopkins is a little bit more comparable to a Jason Witten type. You know, all around he could he could catch the ball well and run after the catch, and he's a great blocker and he does his job. And you know, the Panthers they lost Greg Olson, and I mean, I, even if Greg Olson stayed, I'm pretty sure this guy Bryson Hopkins would start over him. You know, and he's he's a big body target. Who give Teddy Bridgewater or PJ Walker or whoever uh, uh, another target outside of Christian McCaffrey to throw to. And I think this is a great all around player that the Panthers are getting here. Another steal, if I might say. I think that that's a good fit. And the Panthers, you know, they were at their best when Greg Olson was a threat in the league. And I think that. I, I don't expect Greg Olson level play right off the get-go from Bryson Hopkins, but I can expect Bryson Hopkins to follow a very similar curve that Greg, Greg Olson did, where, you know, Greg Olson wasn't really a superstar until a couple of years in the league, and he matured, and he figured out, you know, kind of where the pockets in the defense were and just had a knack for getting open. I think Bryson Hopkins can follow a lot of those same tendencies. Yeah, I mean, the... Uh... The quarterback situation is kind of up in the air right now in Carolina. Um, and I think just having a solid guy on the uh, the line, I guess you could say, to help block, but also be the safety valve and, and find openings in that defense is, is what what the Panthers need for either quarterback. And having Bryce Hopkins is that guy. Like I said, he is being compared to a... Jason Wooden type, but obviously a little bit more athletic, you know. So I think this is a great pick for the Panthers right here. They filled two holes right off the bat. All right. So next up, again, we have the Miami Dolphins, and I have them going lineman here, interior line. They're taking Tyler uh, Biadas, the center slash guard, out of Wisconsin. And he is low key somebody that, if a team is looking for an interior lineman, he can be first round talent. He's somebody that I honestly could probably see the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, I think it would be a reach, but they could potentially reach for him in the first round, similar to what they did with Travis Frederick years ago. And Wisconsin's known for producing great offensive linemen. And now the Dolphins, I think they need as much <laughs> line help as they could get with the weapons they have and 
potentially a new quarterback they're drafting and all that stuff. And I think Tyler Baidez is uh, somebody as as solid as they come when it comes to interior linemen, centers or guards. So that's the pick for Miami right here. I think that's a great pick for Miami. And, you know, you could argue that they waited too long, but with a guy like Tyler, it wouldn't seem like they waited too long to address the offensive line, especially with how maneuverable he is. And, you know, on top of everybody that you've already taken with the Dolphins so far, I think this is a home run pick here in the second round which is a lot harder to do, obviously, with less players being available. But he's a guy who can start from day one. And, you know, the Dolphins, they've experienced a pretty hard reset on their offensive line in the past few years. And I think that this would be a great move. You have a guy who could pull. And, you know, you also have some familiarity between Jonathan Taylor and Tyler at this point. And, you know, if Tyler's lead blocking for Jonathan, He's going to know the tendencies and how to cut, and that'll be even better for Taylor. Yeah, simple, simply put. I think he's a good value pick if you're trying to get – the Dolphins obviously need lineman help, and if you're trying to take the best offensive lineman at this point in the draft, Tyler Baidaz is the way to go. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Um, I, I already said this. You know, he's comparable to a Travis Frederick, to what he was coming out of college, and, you know, they obviously both went to Wisconsin, so there you go. All right, so moving forward at pick 40, the second round, I have the Houston Texans. This is their first <laughs> This is their first uh, draft pick of the mock draft so far. They had to wait a little bit, but they're getting a monster in defensive tackle slash DN, depending on your system, Raquan Davis out of Alabama. I'm pretty sure he's a big old 6'7", 320. And he's been a longtime starter for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Yes, he is 6'7", 306 pounds. And like I said, he's a longtime starter for the Tide. He was somebody who probably could have left uh, for the draft last year and get drafted in the first or second round. But I mean, honestly, if I'm being honest, like he kind of did the same thing. And, you know, this is, yeah, this is about where he would go maybe a little bit later. You know, but Houston, they get to add on to that defensive line. Um, J.J. Watt, I mean, I'm, I'll be the first one to say, it. you know, I love the guy. He's great, but he's definitely injury prone in his later years. And I think this is a good fit that you could either put on the other side of J.J. or you could have him potentially groomed to replace him one day. So I think this is a great project pick, I would say, right here for Houston. Yeah, I mean, they also lost DJ Reader to free agency this year, so they need to fill in that, uh, I mean, just the middle of that defense on the defensive line. So I think adding this big guy, I can see a lot of things. I can see a lot of similarities to Vince Wilfork. I mean, obviously, he's not quite as big as Vince Wilfork, um, but I definitely <coughs> think that um, this big bodied guy is someone that could come in and really eat up some room on that interior Texans line. Yeah, and honestly, I think if this, like, Simon talked a little bit about what first-round ability looks like, and I think Raekwon Davis and a lot of other drafts, I'd say any other drafts of the past, like, five years, Raekwon Davis would be around one guy. And so I think that for the Texans, it's perfect that he falls all the way to them at pick 40. And I use the word falls because I, I do think that he has first-round talent, 
I just don't think he matches the fit for a lot of teams in the first round with where they're at in comparison to the other talent. But Raekwon Davis is a guy who, you know, Simon talks about him being a project, but I think he can come in and start day one and get some quality snaps in and learn a lot from everybody on that Houston defensive side of the ball. And they need to address, address the defensive side of the ball, as we saw during their absolute meltdown in the AFC divisional round. So... Yeah, no, agreed. Uh, well, okay, actually, I did call him a project because he is known to not be as polished off with his, um, uh, you know, pass rushing skills or lock shedding skills. You know, he kind of just, <laughs> I mean, he's a big guy, so he can do this and it will work in college, but he kind of just resorts to, you know, overpowering the other guy. Sometimes he'll, he's a little sluggish with, you know, his technique and whatnot, but he's still a good, like, he's, he's a specimen, you know, obviously he's six seven three oh six. He's a huge dude with a lot of power behind, uh, you know, his, his hits and whatnot, but, you know, he is somebody who could potentially come in and start. You know, I wouldn't say he'll be perfect all the time. He'll probably, you know, make a little bit more rookie mistakes than you'd like out of someone you could say is a first-round talent. But, you know, physically, he's somebody who can go in the first round. And I think, I mean, that's the only reason why I am calling him a project guy because he's not as polished off as, like, an AJ Espenza, in my opinion. So. Gotcha. Up next with the 41st pick in the draft, the Browns are back on the clock. And I think that they have a great pick here with Ross Blacklock. He's a interior defensive lineman for TCU. And, you know, this is a guy that he could have gone in the first round had he not torn his Achilles in 2018. And an Achilles tear is a pretty bad injury in any sport just because of how pivotal it is to being athletic and the amount of movement that it controls but blacklock showed that that didn't slow him down in his rebound year when i mean his strength is his speed because a lot of the times he just beats the blockers off the ball and he's able to he has good vision and dare i even say good football iq with being able to know where the gaps are going to be and i think he's a student of the game and fortunately with blacklock if he gets drafted by the browns the Browns have a little bit of leeway with his playing time because they still have Sheldon Richardson in tow, who had a career year in Cleveland. But I think if you can get both of these guys on the field at the same time, along with Miles Garrett and maybe uh, Olivier Vernon, who plays a little bit better, then I think that this could be one of the best front fours in the NFL. Yeah, I saw Ross Blacklock play this last year at TCU and um, yeah, I think he's because of injury, he's flying under a lot of radars, um, but he's definitely a first round talent. And I think if he doesn't get hurt and he's in a different draft class, I think he could be one of the top two defense tackles to get drafted. Um, he definitely has instincts, the instincts that you want as a defensive tackle where he's in the hole before the running backs even there either. And that's why he gets so many tackles. Um, so I think just having, him on that Browns defense is going to help them again. Like I said earlier, when we were talking about the Browns, get over that hump. Yeah, agreed. I mean, injuries, like y'all have been saying, have kind of robbed him of a of a higher draft spot, honestly, you know? And <clears throat> I mean, I'll be honest, I haven't done as much research on him, so I don't know how good he is technically, but, you know, 
I mean, his stats speak for himself. His production speak for the, uh, themselves. So I think this is a good value pick for the Browns in the second round. <clears throat> yeah, I'd say that the biggest concern with Blacklock is um, if he doesn't find a gap, like if somebody gets blocked on him, his shedding isn't as good. But I mean, he's going to the NFL and he's kind of small, honestly. And I think he could put on more weight and I mean the right kind of weight, because he did lose a lot of weight when he got injured, but he could put back on muscle and come back a lot stronger. So I think it's only up for him. Yeah. All right, that brings us to the 42nd pick of the draft. The Jaguars are once again picking, and they have already gone two defensive players in Derek Brown on the defensive line and Kristen Fulton in a uh, – a replacement to Jalen Ramsey. Um, so this time they go the other glaring need on the offensive side of the ball. They take a offensive lineman and interior lineman Solomon Kinley from Georgia. Um, he was there with Andrew Thomas um, and he blocked for Jake Fromm. And I think him going in to the Jaguars system is what, what they need. Um, really they're hurting at the offensive line position. And to have a younger guy that's pretty athletic for an interior lineman who will be great in pulling for um, Leonard Fournette is what the Jaguars need to address. Um, he's, his game's very similar to Tyler Biadas, I would say. He's somebody, you know, you could play in the interior and he's pretty technically sound. He's a little bit bigger than Biadas, though. I'd say, I'd say that. But, uh, yeah, I think this is a good pick for the Jaguars right here. Tech Gardner Minshew. Protect Gardner Minshew and pave holes for Leonard Fournette. I mean, Leonard Fournette has been able to put up pretty good numbers when he's healthy behind kind of a joke of an offensive line. And, you know, I think an offensive line is what a bad offensive line is what kept the Jaguars out of the Super Bowl a few years ago. And hopefully they learn from their mistakes and, you know, and they've, and it's good that they're drafting here in the second round because I think that they they would feel a little bit more nervous drafting an offensive lineman in the first round with their history. You know, Luke Jekyll being a huge bust, I'd say. Well, not a bust, but definitely not as good as he was picked to be. But I think Solomon Kinley here at 42 is a great bargain pick, and I think he could be a guy in Jacksonville for quite a long time. All right, so... I have the Chicago Bears at 43, and this this pick is something that I know for a fact the Bears will not make because they are committing to Mitchell Trubisky for uh, for this season. And if they don't get to him, then they traded for Nick Foles. So I don't think this would happen. But if I was the Bears GM, I'd do this. And I would draft quarterback Jalen Hurts out of Oklahoma, the former Alabama quarterback. Um, I mean, I'll just be honest. I think he fits their RPO system, offensive system, way better than Trubisky or Nick Foles. And, you know, this is somebody who, I'll, I'll be honest again, he's a way better leader than Trubisky and Foles combined. In my, and that's just my honest opinion. Now, Jalen Hurts, he's the definition of maturity when it comes from a college football player. With the way he handled Tua Tagovailoa, you know, replacing him and then him being a great teammate while being at Alabama and being nothing but classy. I mean, I'll just be honest, that's stuff that you don't see out of a college football player. Now, being that young, because honestly, you won't see that out of an NFL football player. There's a reason why Cam Newton doesn't have a job. And 
it's because of that, you know, the lack of humility sometimes. And Jalen Hurts, he's a hardworking guy. He's a tough-nosed guy. He would fit right into Chicago. And if he was to be drafted here, which, again, I don't think the Bears will do it, um, I think he would make them a playoff contender right off the bat. I, I agree wholeheartedly, and I think that it's the best pick that the Bears could make potentially in this entire draft. And Simon, I love that you kept saying the former Alabama quarterback when he was a Heisman candidate for OU. But, you know, Jalen Hurts, I mean, he was the life and blood of the Sooners last year and the only reason that they were in the playoffs. I mean, he overcame, he had a huge comeback against Baylor in the regular season and he held on and played his heart out to beat them for the Big 12 championship. And I think Jalen Hurts is better than Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky combined. He's actually kind of the best parts of both of them, if you think about it, because Trubisky is pretty athletic, but Jalen is more athletic. And, you know, Nick Foles has found success in RPO systems, but I think Jalen Hurts' arm is a lot better than either of them. He's a lot more accurate, and I think he's a better decision maker. And like you said, the big part here is he's he'd be a way better leader. You know, and if you put Jalen Hurts in that offense already that – has Allen Robinson trending in the right direction and Tariq Cohen out of the backfield, I think that the Bears could be a Super Bowl contender because their quarterback position is what's holding them back. And I think Jalen Hurts has it in him to lead a team to an NFL championship. Yeah, Jalen Hurts, plain and simple, is a winner. Um, he knows how to win games. And we saw it doesn't matter where he goes, he wins games. He won games in Alabama, he won games in Oklahoma, and if you went to the Bears here, he'd win games in Chicago. Um, he's just a winner. And that's, as a GM, that's what I want my quarterback to be, a winner. Um, again, going off honest ratings, for myself at least, honest grades, draft grades, I think Jalen Hurts is the second best quarterback in this draft after Joe Burrow, and maybe, actually I would say third. Um, Joe Burrow is number one, Tua Tagovailoa is number two, and then J I would say Jalen Hurts is number three. I'm taking him over a Justin Herbert or a Jordan Love for sure. Um, I will say I know that his draft stock fell into the late third round, maybe fourth round because of the turnovers, but I still think he can make up with his athletic ability and decision-making for the turnovers that he, he makes. Um, and I would say the interceptions aren't that bad. It's more of the fact that he fumbles the ball too much and is maybe a little bit careless when he's under pressure, but I think that's a teachable skill and that's something that you can learn as a quarterback. And I think if he could have that under him, he's, he is a top five, five talent. Um, so I think I'm just happy to see him go in the second round um, and to Chicago. I think he fit wide into Chicago, like, like they've said, um, like Cody and Simon have said. But yeah, I, again, honest grade, Jalen Hurts is the number three quarterback in this draft for me. And if the Bears take him at number two, I think they're getting a franchise guy much better than Mitchell Trubisky and much better than Nick Foles for sure. Um, I mean, Nick Foles is a... Super Bowl champion quarterback, um, and I think I still think Jalen Hurts is is miles ahead of him in talent and just everything. So having Jalen Hurts on your team is a big win, no matter when you take him. But if they take him in the second round, I think I think he's I still think he's a first round grade, and getting him in the second round is great. I mean, I'll be honest, <laughs> I I really did consider. You know, letting Jalen Hurts fall to my Steelers because I know that's what Mel Kiper projected. And for some reason, a lot of Steelers fans hate that pick. 
Like they're like, oh, Mel Kuyper, he's never right. And then they they dismiss Jalen Hurts as a player. And I think though they're idiotic, you know, they don't represent all of us because I would love to have Jalen Hurts uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But, you know, I got to be realistic here as the Bears GM. I would love to have Jalen Hurts. Um, We all know this Michael Jordan documentary is going to come out on Sunday. And, you know, if it's just the little things, you know, if you pay attention to his interviews and how he carries himself, his whole mentality is very Michael Jordan Kobe Bryant-esque, you know, such a hard worker, very focused, almost, you know, almost a little bit too focused to the point where he might come off as a little crazy or as a little like, you know, off-putting, but he's a tough worker, you know, obviously turnovers was a problem, more so, you know, fumbles than uh, interceptions, I would say, but he is somebody that, you know, you could count on him to improve on his own. You know, he's not going to need somebody to push him along. You know, I think he's somebody who's always been a tough guy. And you know, uh, I did consider him for uh, the Chargers at 37. But I think this is a much better fit considering the system. So, yeah, Jalen Hurts to Chicago at 43. Again, I don't think it would happen. But uh, this is just me as a Chicago Bears GM. Yep. I'm going to say before I move on to the next pick, because I had the next pick in the Colts. But... I just have a lot to say about Jalen Hurts because a great example of it is like, just so you can have the, uh, um, just to know that I, I know what I'm talking about. I mean, like I would have taken, obviously, if we go back to a draft where the Bears didn't make the right decision and took a guy in Mitchell Trubisky over a guy like Deshaun Watson, I would have told you 10 out of 10 times to take Deshaun Watson over yeah. Mitchell Trubisky. And, <laughs> and I'm just saying like, I'm saying now, Jalen Hurts is going to be an NFL quarterback, and he is going to win multiple Super Bowls, I think, as an NFL quarterback. Um, I'm taking, if, if I can't get a Joe Burrow or a Tua Tavaloa, and I'm still in the top 10 and I need a quarterback, I'm taking Jalen Hurts over Justin Herbert and Jordan Love and whoever the heck else is in this draft. Jalen Hurts is the move, and I will be high on Jalen Hurts as long as as long as long I'm alive. I will be his, his number one supporter <laughs> and say that, he needs to be an NFL quarterback and an NFL starter day one. I agree. Yeah. And he said, you said I agree. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to say <laughs> Jalen Hurts. You know, another thing about Jalen Hurts that you don't hear a lot tossed around these days is he's coachable. I mean, we, we've all brought up, well, you guys brought up the fumbles and I'm addressing them because they really did happen. And, you know, that's, <laughs> You know, it's not going to be a Jameis Winston situation where, you know, no matter what you say to him, he's not going to get it through his head. Jalen Hurts is a fast learner, and we saw every year that he had a chance to play, or even every game, he would improve on things that were weak from the last week. And, you know, I think Jalen Hurts is a guy who could exponentially become better and better as each year goes on. Yep. Um, he's, yeah. I'm just saying, yeah, um, whatever team drafts him, wherever they draft him, they are getting a steal, I think a top 10 pick, and their team is getting better, no matter who picks him, wherever they pick him. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Jalen Hurts. Yeah, Go. great quarterback. Yes. He should be going up higher, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think just, playoffs. yeah, I think just to, just to put it in perspective, I can, as a GM, I could overlook the turnover issue for, the amount of talent that he he brings to the table and just all of his intangibles 
but yeah. we'll, we'll see where he's at. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, you're right. Uh, Jalen Hurts, he could honestly go anywhere and be pretty successful, you know. Well, okay, I don't know about anywhere, but I mean, personally, I would like to see him play sooner than later. <laughs> but I do think he could honestly go anywhere with the combination of his athleticism, you know, his intangibles, leadership, and his insane work ethic, arguably the hardest worker in this entire job. But yeah. All right. So let's move forward, though. Yes. All right. So to the Colts' second pick at 44. I have them taking tight end Cole, Cole Komet out of Notre Dame. Um, obviously, Eric Ebron has moved on, and they need to replace him. Um, we saw that they were the most successful with Andrew Luck when he was playing there, um, even with Jacoby Brissett and Brian Hoyer when they're running two tight end sets. Um, and they have Jack Doyle, who I think is still an NFL starter. I wouldn't say he's a star, but he's an NFL starting tight end. Um, and I think Cole Komet just really offsets and compliments him well. I think he can block well, and I think he can receive well. So I think just this is the pick that um, after getting a guy like Jalen Rager, they need to go bigger, more physical guy, and that is Cole Kmet. I think this is a great fit, too, with Phillip Rivers, who experienced his best years as a quarterback with an elite tight end, whether that was, well, I don't know if I'd call Hunter Henry elite, but when Hunter played out of his mind and Philip Rivers benefited from it and the Chargers were a good team. Obviously when, Antonio Brown. Or sorry, Antonio Brown. Uh, Antonio Gates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously yeah. Antonio Gates. Yeah. And so when you have a track record with that success with tight ends as a quarterback. And you know, a guy like Philip Rivers, he is going to have something to say to the Colts front office during the draft. They're going to ask him what he wants. And I'd be surprised if he didn't say to get an elite tight end, pass catching tight end, especially with Jack Doyle's semi-inconsistent showing, you know, having two good tight ends would be good for Philip Rivers and for the Colts organization. Uh, agreed, you know, I mean, uh, obviously he's, I mean, I'll just say this, out of all the tight ends in this draft, he's definitely the third best, because <laughs> I do think Bryson Hopkins and uh, Albert O are both better than him, but he is good, you know, he catches well, he blocks, I think, I would say he blocks a little bit better than Bryson Hopkins. Not too much better, but a little bit better. And uh, yeah, I think this is a great fit for him in uh, in Indianapolis. The only downside on him is probably his athleticism. Like, his straight line speed is really, is pretty good. I would say not really good, but pretty good. But yeah, oh my God, his route running and his agility is... It's, it's pretty bad. Like, he, he cuts corners a lot with his routes. And agility, he's very stiff. Like, you can see the stiffness in his hips. And sometimes that translates to him maybe not blocking as well as he could. Um, you know? But he's still a talent. He's somebody that they could work on. And he has a great mentor in Jack Doyle to learn from. So, yeah. All right. Moving on to pick 45, the Buccaneers again. Um, they, uh... Are taking J.K. Dobbins at 45, running back out of Ohio State. Ooh. Um, yes, a lot of people have him as the number one running back along with um, DeAndre Swift, but I think this is a great fit for the Buccaneers. Um, they do have Ronald Jones, but he's more of that speed speed guy out of the backfield, and I think J.K. Dobbins is more of the workhorse that they're looking for. Tom Brady obviously needs two running backs to uh, help him out. He's old. He can't really move around very much, but... Um, that's really what they're missing. 
in Tampa Bay is a running back that can a workhorse running back like J.K. Dobbins. Um, he's I mean I would he's not he's definitely not Ezekiel Elliott um, in size or athletic ability, but he's definitely one of the I mean obviously he's from Ohio State and the Ohio State running backs have fared very well recently in the NFL. So having J.K. Dobbins in the backfield with Tom Brady um, and then the receivers that they have in Mike Evans. Um, Chris Godwin, why not add another dynamic piece to that offense and contend now and go try and win a Super Bowl with Tom Brady? He's, this is a great pick right here. Honestly, I briefly considered him at 43 with the Bears, but I know they have Ty Montgomery. But yeah, I mean, you said he wasn't as athletic, you know, or as big as in Ezekiel Elliott, but I would still say his running style is very similar to what Zeke's running style is, you know, a tough runner with great vision. And, you know, he's, I think he is a workhorse type of back. I know Ronald Jones is there, but I think J.K. Dobbins is the type of guy that can potentially take over a backfield and, you know, put up some really good numbers. You know, he could be a Josh Jacobs type of steal in this year's draft. Yeah, I definitely think that the Buccaneers do go running back here. I could see them taking DeAndre Swift at this spot too, honestly. But J.K. Dobbins is still a really good pick. And I think that it's a necessary pick if the Buccaneers want to maximize having Tom Brady on their team. I mean, you don't sign Tom Brady and let go of Jameis Winston if you're planning on being a first-round exit in the playoffs, right? So they're in win-now mode, and J.K. Dobbins is the answer at running back. And, you know... I would say that the Buccaneers haven't had a great running back or even a good one since Doug Martin. Was and that good. was since Doug Martin was good. And since he was good. Yeah. yeah. Which was like his rookie second year. Yeah. So, and I think J.K. Dobbins is so much better than Doug Martin ever was. Mm -hmm. I think that that would be an excellent pick for the Buccaneers. And either way, they need to draft a running back here. Yeah. Hey, if he stayed in that game with uh, Clemson, I think Ohio State might have won that game. But, you know, he had a lingering ankle injury. He still had a great stat line. But if he stayed in that game a little bit longer, I think Ohio State might have uh, went to the national championship. We love what ifs and we love big impact players. Speaking of the national championship game, speaking of national championship, a player who was in the national championship playing for the winning side was Patrick Queen linebacker for the LSU Tigers and I think that it'd be a great pick for the Broncos who haven't really had a great linebacker presence since Danny Trevathan on the Super Bowl team and I think that Patrick Queen he can play sideline to sideline I think he's a very good vocal leader on the defensive side of the ball and you know he he has a and LSU is known for putting out great linebackers year to year I mean, just in recent years, they have put out Deion Jones, Quan Alexander, and most recently, Devin White. And all of the teams that have drafted or gotten there or have gotten those linebackers have improved on the defensive side of the ball as a complete unit. And I think if you put Patrick Queen here, he can, he can play the run, he can play the pass. And I think it's honestly a steal at pick 46. And dare I say, by him getting picked here, he's underrated. Yeah, um, can we just stop, first of all, and think about literally how good LSU's season was. One of the best seasons ever in college football. And we can see that here with a pick like Patrick Queen. He was not on anyone's draft radar at the beginning of this season. No one really knew what his name was. 
And then here we are at the end of the season. LSU wins the national championship. They do it in the fashion they do. And now Patrick Queen is in the top, is in the first two rounds of the draft, which is just amazing. It just shows how, how great of a development LSU prospects and LSU linebackers are. I mean, um, we've seen how a handful, at least, at least six, five or six LSU players go in these first, second, first and second round. And that is just a testament to how good their season was and how good their, their coaching staff is. So I think Patrick Queen, can just show that he is very coachable. And I think he could go into Denver and help lock down that linebacking court for, for the years to come. Agreed. You know, and, and you know, just because LSU had a great season doesn't take anything away from Patrick Queen because he obviously contributed contributed to that. And you know, he himself had a pretty good season. He's uh pretty sure he was just a one year starter because Devin White was there yep. last year. Yeah. But he's he's a good one. You know, he's a, he's really young. Uh entering this draft, he's only twenty. He would turn twenty one in August. So he's somebody who has obviously you know plenty of time to grow and whatnot uh being as young as he is being one of the younger players in this draft and there are links of uh patrick queen going to you know uh multiple teams that may need a middle linebacker like the ravens and the tennessee titans so i think this is a great pick for denver right here this is about where i would draft him honestly uh with the broncos pick so i think this is great right here great value and I think even if the Broncos have to trade ahead to get him earlier in the second round, I think it's necessary. Oh yeah, it would be worth it. So. Yep. Um, speaking of LSU linebackers, and Cody just mentioned it in Deion Lewis, we move to the Atlanta Falcons at 47, taking their replacement for Deion Lewis at middle linebacker, Zach Braun out of Wisconsin. Um, Again, it just comes down to the fact that Deion Lewis is gone and he was the leader of that Falcons defense. Um, and they need another guy. And I think they get that guy in Zach Brown. I think he is a top talent middle linebacker. And I think that he can definitely come in day one starter for the Falcons and make an impact on that defense. I'd say Deion Lewis, the linebacker for the Falcons. Yeah, wasn't he there last time? Isn't that the last oh, Lewis time? Lewis is a running back. Sorry. You're thinking of Deion Jones. Deion Jones. Also, <laughs> um, Deion Jones, Deion Lewis, close enough. Um, so Deion Jones um, was a middle linebacker in Atlanta, and now he is gone. So having a guy like Zach Brown come in and fill that spot out of uh, Wisconsin is exactly what the Falcons did on their defense. And Deion Jones was the uh, the anchor of that defense for however many years he was there. And that is where uh, I would say where a part of Atlanta's identity came from was a middle linebacker. And they're going to get a top talent in Zach Brown at middle linebacker with this pick. Yeah, and just a quick note, uh, Deion Jones, he, just, he was just injured last year but he still is on the Falcons. But fortunately, with uh, this guy, Zach Bond, I mean, he can play outside linebacker in the traditional sense of like a nickel linebacker. So I think that the Falcons could have a borderline Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis kind of combination with these two. And I think that that's perfect to the type of defense that Dan Quinn wants to run. So I think that a pick like this takes the Falcons from being a competitor in the NFC South to a contender in the NFC. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll just be honest. I <laughs> like I know his combine and you know, all of this other stuff is really good, but when I turned on the film on Zach Bond, I kind of just wasn't a huge fan, I guess. Like I know he has production and whatnot. It's just it's kind of the same sort of deal with Cole Komet, just really stiff hips, you know, not super agile, I would say. But he did produce a lot. I think he's somebody who may need to, you know, I think he might need to sit a little bit and learn and uh, learn for a couple more seasons behind somebody before he turns into, you know, as as somebody at somebody that a lot of people are projecting him to be. But I, I don't know. I think this is a good pick right here. I think, I mean, this is just my opinion. I think he's a solid project pick right here for the Falcons. And, you know, they do have Deion Jones there, so that's good. So I think this is somebody that they could throw in there. He could learn from Deion Jones and uh, get better as the years go on. I agree. And that does it for the third segment of the Cycle 365's mock draft. Coming up next, Simon's got four picks for you. Welcome back to the Cycle 365. This is episode 29. We're going to finish up our NFL mock draft by finishing up the second round. So, at number 48th overall, I have the New York Jets. I have them taking cornerback Jeff Gladney out of TCU. Um, So, the Jets have kind of always needed help on defense. They've swung and missed on a couple of free agent, uh, you know, the defensive players in the last couple of years. So, Jeff Gladney... He comes from a solid, I mean, they're always solid, TCU defense. He's he's someone who's a little bit raw, I would say, but he has a lot of potential. He's probably the be- the next best corner left, and a lot of them have been drafted, but I think him going to the Jets right here will kind of help them step in the right direction to shoring up that defense. <laughs> yeah, watching Jeff Gladney play at TCU, um, he is definitely a raw talent, but I think he has the length to play receiver ones. Um, I also think he has the uh, the drive. He's kind of na- kind of a nasty player, like not like in a yeah. good way. Like he's not gonna be like Tommy all that stuff, but like he's nasty. He'll get up in your grill and really really give you a run for your money in uh, as a receiver. So I think I think that fits in with Jamal Adams there on the Jets the Jets defense, and I think that's something that they need. They need to build an identity around physical play. And I think Jeff Gladney is one of the most physical corners in this draft. And it's it's ideal for, for a guy who's a bit more raw at cornerback to be coming into the situation that he is coming into in New York with, you know, Adams to back him up a little bit so he can kind of play a bit more aggressively. And, you know, he can kind of get over the curb or the hump a bit sooner, potentially. And also with just CJ Mosley handling it in the middle, that also takes some pressure off of him, you know, as far as like if he ends up trailing somebody going across midfield because he's going to have inside help. So I think that'll promote confidence with him to just play his game. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So moving forward, we have my Pittsburgh Steelers picking at 49. This is their first draft pick because they did trade the first rounder to Miami for Minka Fitzpatrick. And obviously that turned out well. And so, 
The Steelers could have definitely went a couple of different ways right here. At this point, I was kind of just picking on who's best available. And so I chose to go with running back. And probably not the running back y'all were thinking of, but I went with LSU running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So I'll be honest, <laughs> until I made the list of NFL prospects, I did not know that he was declaring for the NFL draft because he wasn't even invited to the NFL combine, which is insane to me. But he had a fantastic year, uh, senior year with the LSU Tigers. You know, he was a huge part of that offense. And <clears throat> I saw the same guy who broke down, you know, the Tristan Wirfs and Jedrick Wills, uh, you know, highlights and whatnot and gameplay. The same guy, I watched a video of him making a video on Edwards Hilaire. And here's the thing about Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He's not, <clears throat> I would say, the most... Yeah, you know, athletically gifted running back. You know, his top speed isn't super impressive, but he, had, he does have really quick feet and he's very agile and he could, he's, he's very skilled. You know, he could catch out of the backfield and has great vision as well. And so this guy, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, in that video, the guy that was, you know, narrating the whole thing, he did say that since Joe, or wait, right? Yeah, Joe Brady, he was kind of modeling, you know, the LSU offense after the Saints offense, you know, uh, Clyde's Edward. Oh my God. His name is screwing me up. Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He kind of represented what Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram were, but all in one to the LSU Tigers. You know, he was a tough running back. You know, he's kind of, he's stocky. He's only like five, nine, two Oh five, two ten. you know, but he could catch out of the backfield. He has quick feet. You know, and he's somebody who just runs angry, honestly. He's a tough running back. You know, he finishes his runs. That's something that, you know, you hear a lot of scouts say. But I, I do think this is a good pick for the Steelers here because, you know, James Conner, he's been, he's been very injury prone. And at this point, everyone is kind of on the same page, I want to say, in terms of moving on from James Conner as a premier running back. And I think getting Clyde Edwards-Hilaire would be a perfect fit for the Pittsburgh Steelers, getting someone who I've always said is like a poor man's Maurice Jones-Drew. I think it's a very interesting pick, and I definitely think that the Steelers could take a running back here. I just don't know if you should take Edwards Hilaire over DeAndre Swift, if I'm being completely honest. Because when I'm watching the LSU offense, i say the only one that didn't like blow my mind a little bit was Edwards Hilaire. I think he... And I don't know if that's just a product of how explosive the LSU offense was in general, but he definitely looked a lot more pedestrian than a lot of the other players on that offense. And I don't know if he'd be worth a second round pick, but maybe that's just me. Um, <clears throat> I think I think his his upside is that, like you said, Simon, he is a little bit smaller. He's 5'9", um, and he does run with that power behind him, which makes it kind of an interesting combination where he can get in behind those offensive linemen and like a linebacker maybe filling the hole and doesn't really see what's going on and then all of a sudden gets popped right in the chin by Edwards Allaire. So I mean like that, he definitely runs hard. Maybe, I don't know if he's a workhorse. I mean, he's definitely a workhorse, but an NFL workhorse, I'm not 100% sold on until I see it. Um, I think he's more of just a, a guy to couple with a guy like James Conner and see where that goes. No, I agree. I don't, think necessarily that he is a workhorse i do think he's just a better fit than deandre swift if i'm being honest um 
I mean, I, this is just what I've seen. You know, I've compared, I've looked it over DeAndre Swift uh, highlights, and you know, gameplay compared to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's uh, gameplay and highlights. And you know, Swift is just really stiff. You know, like he doesn't. He's he's a very much of a one cut type of running back. You know, like he's not gonna do a lot of jukes or you know be patient and find the hole. Because the thing about Edwards Hilaire, he he has really, in my opinion, he has way better um, uh, vision than uh, DeAndre Swift when it comes to finding holes, being patient, and doing all that. Because if you look carefully at his gameplay, it's it's almost Le'Veon Bell esque to a degree. Like he's very patient. And he'll let things unfold naturally, and then he'll find a hole and explode right through it. And that's why I kind of have him, you know, going to the Steelers because he is a little bit more like Le'Veon Bell and DeAndre Swift. I, I honestly just haven't seen him catch the ball as much too. And you know, he he did have a much better line, I would say, than uh, Clyde did at LSU. So I I mean that's just me. No, I like I said, he's a very underrated guy. I don't think he would go in the second round. If I'm being honest, the Steelers probably could steal him in the third or fourth. But uh, Edward Solaire is definitely somebody to keep an eye out for. And you know, he could do a he could do a lot of good things. Honestly, he could do a lot of good things. I think that being running back too to James Conner would serve him well, at least in the Steelers' case. But yeah, um, yeah. Like I said, I think DeAndre Swift just needs a couple more carries to get going in. But I'm being honest, I don't think we could really afford uh, cutting into James Connors like carries like that. But Hilaire, on the other hand, you know, he could he could get it going. So, yeah. All right. Anyways, moving forward, we have the Chicago Bears. And I wasn't quite sure which linebacker position he could play in the pros. At this point, he could play either middle or outside. But I have them taking Inferno Jennings. And, and here's the reason why. Because they gave... Robert Quinn a huge contract right and that's cool you know he did his thing with the Cowboys he I want to say I'm pretty sure he got double digit sacks and he was really good against the run but at the same time he might only have a couple years left I want to say he's either 29 or 30 and for a defensive linebacker like that slash defensive end uh that's not really good you know you're on the down you're on the other end of uh your career and so Jennings here, like I said, he could play either middle or outside, but I think he can play outside line, but outside linebacker. By the way, he's from Alabama. Just to throw that out there. And you know, I think he's somebody who could, you know, sit with the Bears and uh sit behind Robert Quinn and, you know, get in there and be a rotational guy for sure right away. But I think he will need some time to develop. I just think, you know, the Bears, they should, you know, have a backup plan for Robert Quinn. Because they already have Khalil Mack. So I'll you know, I think they would rather be safe than sorry and make sure they have a defense that's solid on both ends. I mean, the Bears' identity is defense first, so drafting a defensive player at this point in the draft I think would be a good idea. And, you know, I'd say on top of the pick that you already made with Jalen Hurts, I think that this is the move to make to continue to make defense their identity. And it doesn't even matter if they have Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn because then Jennings can just rep both sides, honestly. Yeah, have a good uh, have a good backup because I mean we um, we know how vulnerable passers are in the NFL these days. Knock on wood, but um, it's always good to have a backup at that position. I mean, you saw it with with the Broncos. I mean, they have two stars and 
Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, but if one goes down, what are you going to do? It's never a bad thing to build on strength, right? You know, especially when you have an older pass rusher in Robert Quinn. I'm not as concerned about, you know, Khalil Mack, obviously. So, yeah. All right, moving forward at 51, uh, we have the Dallas Cowboys again. And I, I'll admit that this is a, it's a little bit of a reach, I would say. I, I think I might be a little bit more comfortable picking him in the third round. We are pretty close to the third round, so I'll let it slide. But this is a very Jerry Jones or, you know, Jones family-esque type of pick. I have them taking tight end Thaddeus Moss out of LSU. And first things first, you know, he's Randy Moss's son. So, you know, you're the Cowboys, you want attention, bam, bring in a great tight end with a great name to uh, come play for your team, you know? Also, he is extremely talented. Thaddeus Moss, I mean, this whole LSU offense, like all their skilled players were fantastic, you know? Um, we already talked about Edward Hilaire. Obviously, they have great wide receivers still there, and then Joe Burrow. But Thaddeus Moss was somebody who kind of just got lost in and all of that, you know, plus he's a tight end, you know, tight ends are a commonly, I don't know, what, what should I say? I don't want to say look down upon, they're just undervalued sometimes, but they are, they are, you know, very important. And I think Thaddeus Moss going into this Cowboy system, he is a receiving tight end and, you know, Jason Wooden, he's off to the Raiders. He had a great career with them, but you now it's time to finally replace him with somebody that uh, can stick, you know, and be a big receiving threat next to Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, who's been making great strides. And so this gives them uh, a big body target for Dak Prescott. I love this pick. Uh, I love the fact that the Cowboys are still getting their tongue from Baton Rouge at this point in the draft. And, you know, you said it might be a reach, but honestly, I think that this is a great fit. Thaddeus Moss is a mismatch against linebackers. He was at the collegiate level, and I think he'll continue to be a problem for linebackers at the NFL level. And I think that his, his ability to high point the ball definitely, you know, it reminds you that his last name is Moss and that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yeah, I think you'll see him on uh, Monday Night Football with someone on the uh, You Got Moss segment when his dad says, You Got Moss, then it's Thaddeus Moss, then it's just a whole Moss thing. That's, that's <laughs> what's going to happen. But anyways, um, I definitely think he also has a very, I would say, has a knack and a very good ability to get into the middle of the field, find the hole, and be that safety blanket for any quarterback that plays with him. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, but his biggest downside is definitely blocking. Out of all the tight ends that I've been picked, he is by far the worst blocker. Uh, it's, it's not good. He's... He's not particularly strong, you know, like in general, like as a pass blocker or a run blocker. And, you know, his, his technique isn't great either. He's definitely like, you know, like a spread type of tight end. Like you got to put him out there, you know, um, you got to make him go catch the ball. You know, don't, if you put him on the line and try to make him block a ton, he might not do you a lot of favors. And, you know, luckily Dallas has a great offensive line anyway, so it's fine. But yeah. Thaddeus Moss to the Cowboys. I mean, I could see, I could see him definitely playing in the slot more than, uh, than on the line blocking. Um, he could be, he could be a guy like uh, what? That's not what I was gonna say. 
Um, You're gonna say Ingram? Yeah, Evan Ingram. Um, you could, he, I, you could see him put. I could see him being put out in the slot like Evan Ingram, um, and running more of a a uh, <clears throat> receiver tight end, quote unquote type. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I could see a Julius Thomas comparison as well. You know, he's he's a little bit skinnier. You know, like I think Evan Ingram has a bit more muscle to him as well, but. Yeah, no, I agree. If they utilize him the same way the Giants uh, use uh, Evan Ingram, I think they'll be just fine, you know? He has a really big catch radius, so there you go. All right. Now on the board for the first time this draft, we have the LA Rams. And right at, when we were making this originally, it was right after Todd Gurley got cut. So... I think that the Rams dipped back into the Georgia running back pool and they picked DeAndre Swift here at pick number 52. I think that it's very obvious, especially after this past year, that they need a running back who can carry the ball a lot for Jared Goff to be successful. And Simon, you already brought up that DeAndre Swift is a guy who needs a handful of carries and the Rams are a team that can give that to him. I think that they're without a running back one right now, and I think DeAndre Swift could step in. And not only could he handle the workload of getting a ton of carries, but I think that he could also catch out of the backfield if need, need be. And I know that McVay likes to throw those screens. So, yeah, No, uh, I think that's a, that's a solid fit with the Rams. I mean, they got to get a running back you know, at this point. Any running back <laughs> would work. Uh, they already don't. They didn't have a first round pick. I'm pretty sure, right? Nope. Nope. Yeah. Jalen so, Ramsey was their first round pick. Yeah, and that's not necessarily a bad trade because you know what J we know what Jalen Ramsey is. Uh, but I mean, unless Jared Goff takes a mir miraculous step forward, I th they definitely need a running back who has some receiving ability, could run the ball a little bit, and you know, like I already said, DeAndre Swift. I wouldn't say he's the type of guy to make something out of nothing like an Edwards Hilaire or a Jonathan Taylor, but he he's more of a one cut guy. So he'll still do his job and he'll do it well. You know, he'll get you a ton of yards and um, be a tough running back. He's durable. I'll give him that. He's extremely durable, which Todd Gurley was not. So there you go. Yeah. I'm just going to say this one thing about it. If, you're a Rams fan and you draft DeAndre Swift at 52, you better be happy because you're getting a first round talent at 52 this late in the second round. Congratulations. You have someone for the future. Go buy your jersey now. Yeah. Or whenever, if there's football <laughs> this season. Yeah. Hey, you can order it online. Plug for NFL. But up next, I have the Eagles again. And... I have them drafting Ezra Cleveland. He's a offensive lineman. I believe he's a tackle. Oh. Out of Boise State. Yeah, he's a tackle. And I think that this is the perfect time to draft a new tackle with Jason Peters having just left. And I mean, it was kind of a long time coming. The writing was on the wall for Peters as his injuries just started to stack up. And I think that you can get a good guy here in Ezra Cleveland at this point in the draft. He definitely has the, you know, the downside of playing in the Mountain West, being from Boise, going against him. But at this point, I think he's one of the better offensive linemen left and arguably a day one starter. 
Yeah, I'm going to say, I mean, we've seen how many times um, we've seen how many times Carson Wentz has been hurt in his career uh, as the Eagles quarterback. And I think um, can I blow it? Um, I think <laughs> I think uh, we can see that when he does play and is, is healthy, he is a top 15, top 20 quarterback. Um, and in order to keep him healthy, you need to have an offensive line. So at this point, yeah, you got to get the next best offensive lineman, and here he is. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree. He, I mean, I don't, he's obviously not the best lineman <laughs> uh, in this draft because, you know, he's drafted right here. But I do think he's a solid guy that you could add, add there to protect Carson Wentz. And honestly, as long as Carson Wentz has a lineman, well, you know, somebody blocking for him that's not like some scrub or practice squad player, I you'll you'll be okay. You know, you just gotta protect him and I think this is a good investment for the Eagles here. Yeah. Up next we have the Buffalo Bills, and I believe that this is also their first pick. It's, uh, their first pick was um Stefan Diggs, so yeah. Yep. Yeah. So this is their first pick of the draft. We got a lot of firsts here, late late here in the second round. And I think that with that pick, the Bills address the defensive side of the ball and they pick Neville Gallimore. He's a defensive tackle out of OU and he had four sacks from the interior tackle position. I mean, we all know Ed Oliver and what he's about, but when you have a player like Ed Oliver who can kind of play anywhere along the entire line and especially likes to play at the end spot, then you have room for a guy like Neville Gallimore to open up more opportunities for Ed Oliver in the passing game. And Gallimore is also a guy who can get you a couple of deflections from the inside, which is, you know, definitely an under talked about part of a defensive lineman's game, but being able to get your hand up and bat the ball down before it's even the cornerback's problem is one of the better ways to stop the pass. And I think that Gallimore could do that for the Bills. Yeah, a great guy you can think of that does that now is Shelby Harris, the Denver Broncos who just resigned. Um, I can't. I mean, we watch all the Broncos games. Obviously, we're Broncos fans, but I like the number of third down passes that Shelby Harris has knocked down is is amazing. And and like just to have that skill is is coveted in the NFL. I think these days. No, for sure. This is another guy from Alex Grinch's uh, defense who, who played well, honestly. You know, obviously he's a defensive tackle, so he's not going to stuff the stat box. But I think this is a good a pick right here for <clears throat> for the Buffalo Bills, you know, adding a, a little bit more beef up to that front seven uh, with Ed Oliver and, you know, making that, that Bills defense a little bit more stronger. Yep. Up next, we have Baltimore's next pick, and I'd say that this is definitely a steal here at pick 55, getting Denzel Mims. I mean, he was a huge part of Baylor's revival and Big 12 contention and even playoff contention near the end of the season, because had they won, they probably would have gone to the playoffs. Also and probably would have gotten smacked by LSU, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> It really doesn't matter, but it could have been anybody. It would whoever was for <laughs> it could have happened to anybody. But Denzel Mims, I mean, he had double-digit touchdowns this year and over a thousand yards, and 
No, I'd say he was the most dynamic player on the Baylor offense. Yeah, he's a big guy. Um, I think Baltimore obviously needs a big body receiver to just take some of the, the receptions and, and take some blows because um, yeah, they just don't have that. And they need to give Lamar Jackson even another weapon. Yeah, I agree. For someone who's 6'3", isn't he pretty fast? Didn't he have a good 40? Oh, yeah. Is it like a 4-4 four, four or? I don't know. Cody's looking it up. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, I think it's important to add more receiving weapons around Lamar Jackson. Because you know, yeah, we know he could run. Four, three, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, so for someone who's tall, that's that's really good. You know, I, obviously we don't want to get too hung up on, you know, his receiving, uh, or sorry, his combine stats. But he did produce a lot. Obviously it wasn't the Big 12 and competition wasn't as great. But, you know, production is production and uh, like I was saying, it's important to surround Lamar Jackson with good receiving threats, you know, because we know he has Mark Ingram, he has his tight ends, and then Marquise Brown, who even Marquise Brown, even though he was electrifying at times, he did struggle to, you know, stay on the field sometimes. So I think it would help for the Ravens to draft another wide receiver who could take on a little bit more of the load and, you know, potentially be a... I don't know if he'll be a number one guy, but be a good number two guy at least. I mean, he has the combine numbers of a number one guy for sure. So, yeah. no, for sure, he kind of, his game kind of reminds me of uh, of Terrence Williams to a degree. If y'all remember him, he came from Baylor too. And he was a taller guy that was fast, and he wasn't a terrible receiver when he was in the league either. Yep. All right. The Dolphins are on the clock once again. You want to give us their yeah. picks, Simon? Yeah, uh, they have a ton of picks. If they nail this draft like I did, then they'll be fine. <laughs> but at 56, the Miami Dolphins, I have them taking the guard from Oregon, Shane Lemieux. So I'm going to pull Chris Collinsworth real quick. Here's the guy who should have been in the first round. And then he had the season he had. And honestly, I think it all started when he had to go up against Derek Brown Jr. in the first game of the season. I'm I'm, I'm not going to roast Oregon for scheduling that game the way they did, but that was a terrible game to play first. And I think that kind of just got him off, like, off his game a little bit. Like, he's a fantastic guard. Like, Pro Football Focus ranked him as a, like, you know, before the season, as a, you know, as a very talented guard, very efficient. You know, and Oregon was obviously supposed to take the next step forward. They didn't quite do it. It wasn't exactly his fault because he's a lineman, not a quarterback. And uh, I think this is somebody that the Dolphins will find a lot of value out of. He's technically sound, I would say. You know, sometimes his athleticism, you know, his strength could be questioned a little bit. But obviously, you know, if he's good enough to play college football, and he's strong enough to play college football. He can, he will probably hold up well in the pros. But I think low key, this is a steal for the Dolphins. You know, obviously they have their big, you know, talents in you know T. Higgins, Tua, Jonathan Taylor. But you know, the trenches is where the games are actually won. And I think they build on on top of that uh, offensive line by taking this guard right here. I like that you stayed focused on. I definitely think that the Dolphins could take a defensive player 
at this point, just with the amount of offense that they have done. But, you know, as far as your draft agenda of protecting Tua and setting him up for success, this is definitely the way to do it is to draft a new offensive line, draft a wide receiver one or two, draft a running back one. And I think that this stays consistent. And I think that it is the right idea for when drafting Tua. Yeah, and also like we talked about multiple times, Tua is a better leader than Justin Herbert was. Um, so just to have that extra leadership it will help him out. Okay, Simon, tell us about the Houston Texans next pick. Oh, sorry, real quick about the Dolphins. Um, yeah, I, that, that was the idea I have. I had when uh, drafting Tua. I mean, let's be real, he is still more talented than uh, Justin Herbert, but he's probably, even, even before the Sipper injury, he probably wasn't more durable than him. So I think it is important to draft linemen around him, you know? Like, some, they might not even have to draft a Jonathan Taylor or T. Higgins, but if they draft a good lineman to protect him or give him weapons where he could get the ball out a little bit quicker, then that's great. Well, anyways, moving on to the <coughs> excuse me, to the Houston Texans. I have them taking Florida State running back Cam Akers. So this is somebody that I didn't particularly think would be a second round talent, but we are kind of near the second or sorry, near the end of the second round, close to the early third round, which is where I would think he would go. And he is a talented running back. Don't don't get that twisted. You know, uh, he, he put up a lot of numbers over at Florida State. So I think the Texans take another running back right here. Just because, you know, Lamar Miller, he's been hurt. He's probably not going to come back the same. David Johnson, I mean, he kind of bounced back a little bit this season. But he was hurt and then he got phased out with Kenyon Drake. So I don't think it would hurt to give them another running back. You know, that could potentially be a three down back or somebody who could take the load off of David Johnson so that they could, you know, maximize his potential, both of their potentials. Yeah. The only thing I think is they could also go receiver here. Um, after losing DeAndre Hopkins, they brought in, I don't know, just any, they brought in like a handful of guys, but it's not going to DeAndre. Um, plus they also still do have Duke Johnson as well. Um, so there, that running back room is pretty, pretty crowded, but at the same time, having a young Cam Akers, who I think is not quite Dalvin Cook, but just a, a poor man's Dalvin Cook, I'll say, um, could energize that veteran room. Um, but I could also see them going receiver to try to start to build up what they lost in John Dre Hopkins. Yeah, I, I honestly think, you know, even with the running back room that the Texans do have, I Cam Akers walking in, he's immediately at this point in time the most talented to me, just because I'm still not a believer in David Johnson. Also, how confusing is that going to be with both D Johnsons on the same team? At least one of them's a junior, I guess. But that's besides the point. Although I I agree that Cam Akers would be the most talented running back, and I, I like the pick. I do see where Jesse's coming from, that they could draft a receiver, honestly, like, the Texans could draft anywhere and not go wrong with it. Like, if they drafted a defensive lineman, like a defensive end, 
I think I think that'd be fine if they drafted another cornerback. That'd be fine. Just because I don't know, I'm still not convinced about Bradley Roby being like a number one guy, even with the one year that he did have. But Cam Akers would be a great fit, and you know, provide some consistency since they didn't want to keep Carlos Hyde for some reason. Yeah. Oh, very true. And I, I agree, it could get a little bit crowded, but. I mean, I don't know how confident they are in Duke Johnson, if I'm being honest, or David Johnson, for that matter. <laughs> so, I don't think it would hurt just to bring in some fresh blood. He would obviously be the youngest out of all of them. He doesn't quite, he doesn't have the injury history as either of them either. And, you know, at this point, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta surround Deshaun Watson with some weapons. And I, I picked Cam Akers just because I wasn't really, I don't know. I, I, I didn't really see many receivers at this point right now that could go in the second round and, you know, not do what Brandon Cooks or Will Fuller or whoever they have over there, Kenny Stills, uh, could do right now. So I think Cam Akers has a little bit more upside and potential. All right. Well, at 58, the Minnesota Vikings are back on the clock, and this is my last pick of the draft, the mock draft. But um, we will talk about some honorable mentions at the end, but this is my last pick, and the Vikings are taking Cesar Ruiz with the 58th pick. That is the center out of Michigan. Um, At this point, again, we are getting late in the second round, um, and the Vikings do need offensive line help. doesn't matter what position. They just need everything. Um... And I think Cesar Ruiz is the next best lineman on the draft board. And I do think that since he is a center, he gets overlooked a little bit more, obviously because people want guards and tackles. But I think he could be a talent that could go in day one and help out the Vikings run game that is uh, very prolific with Dalvin Cook and now Madison in the backfield. It never hurts to add more uh, alignment in, in the draft, you know, just get some bigger bodies in the room. I mean, and you even mentioned earlier the idea, you tossed around the idea of drafting an offensive lineman earlier in the draft, just depending on like who's there. And, you know, I think the Vikings, I can't remember the last time that they even had like a Pro Bowl lineman. Like maybe it was because Adrian Peterson was there, maybe, but that's like a lifetime ago in NFL years, you know. So I think that going offensive lineman here is definitely the move. And I think it's completely necessary too. that do it for okay so i have four picks coming up the first pick is the seattle seahawks again and i think that they stay on the defensive side of the ball and i believe that they pick noah oh man Ig- <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna give it a try ig Benogene. but he's a quarterback from auburn and you know We've talked about it with a lot of the cornerbacks from the SEC. They go against the best talent all year. So they're battle-tested against, as we deem, NFL-level wide receivers in the first place. And he held it pretty well. No, I I would have to agree. This Auburn defense was pretty good all year. So, I mean, I would, I would probably... <laughs> give Auburn defensive players the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, not just because they also play in the SEC, but yeah, I think this is a solid pick for the Seahawks. Continue to stack those cornerbacks. 
yep, try and make the next Legion of Boom, even though I don't think this is it, but why not give it a try? You know, Big Ben O'Gon. I got the I got the pronunciation this time, but that's my pick, the Seahawks. And staying, continuing on the defensive side of the ball, I think that the Ravens, with the 60th pick in the draft, I think that they pick up Ashton Davis, defensive back from Cal. Um, he's he actually got a scholarship to Cal for track, so he's a freak athlete. And I think the only concern for him on why he's like more of a day two guy is he, he can play pretty reckless. But I think that works on this defensive side of the ball with all the other studs that they have. I mean, you can have Earl Thomas at the other safety position. And you also have Marlon Humphreys at cornerback along with Marcus Peters, you know. And I think that Ashton Davis also kind of reflects really well, like the attitude and the swagger that this Ravens team has. Because... It's no secret that, you know, they have a lot of fun when they play. And I think Ashton Davis fits in really well there. And I think that he'd be a great replacement for Tony Ferguson because he wasn't really what they thought they were getting, I guess, or they didn't get everything that they wanted to. But I think Ashton Davis could be everything Tony Jefferson was and more just because I think he's a better athlete. No, agreed. I think this is a solid pick for the Ravens right here. No, I mean... I, I'll just be honest, like, their future at DB isn't exactly, like, solidified. You know, obviously, I don't think they have paid Marlon Humphrey yet, but when he does get paid, it's going to be a big deal. I know, I'm pretty sure they gave Marcus Peters a deal already. Pretty sure. But, either way, that's it's the good. one who they get a deal. Well, what? Who who did they give a deal? I'm pretty sure it's uh, Marcus Peters. Okay, yeah. So Marlon Humphrey's still up for uh, you know an extension. They probably will retain him, but it's better safe than sorry. Plus, you could still add in another guy. You never know. Injuries happen. It's football, and he's a solid player. Yeah, I just like what Cody said about the recklessness that he plays with. I mean, this if any of the defenses in the NFL, this is the one to do it with because you have all those guys locking everything else down, and then why not send that wild card just screaming in there to to wreak some havoc? And that's the guess, Ash Davis. Yeah, and another thing about Ashton Davis is he can definitely play defensive back as well. So he could play corner, he could play nickel, he could play safety, you know? And I think that his upside is actually... Tremendous. He kind of reminds me a little bit of like a more athletic Eric Weddle. And I mean, Eric Weddle already played for the Ravens. So, mm -hmm. up next, still on the defensive side of the ball, is the Tennessee Titans. And I think that they take Jalen Johnson. He's a cornerback out of Utah. And Utah was contending for the Pac 12 championship and a playoff spot last year before they got smacked around by Oregon unfortunately but you know he's he's a very fundamentally sound guy he his technique is really good and the only concerns about him came up after the combine i think his stock dropped a little bit just because he's not he didn't show to be super athletic but i think the titans is a great fit especially following the loss of they still haven't re-got logan ryan i don't believe and, you know, when you have a guy like Adore Jackson on the other side, 
is really athletic and can compensate a little bit, then you can count on Jalen Johnson to be a bit more conservative on the backside. Yeah. So Jalen Jalen uh, Jalen Johnson, while he might not be the most athletic from his combine um, results, he did run a blazing forty. Um, so he's very quick. I think he was only second to Henry Ruggs in the forty-yard um, dash. Um, so what he what he lacks in um, you could say athletic ability and fundamental cornerback play, he can make up for with his speed. Where if he does get behind a little bit, he has good closing speed. And I think that could definitely benefit him as a corner two to Adoree Jackson in this Titans off or defense. Uh, agreed. You know, he's he's a good player. He was part of a great Utah defense. He's had the uh, you know opportunity to guard some pretty good NFL caliber wide receivers like an NQ Harry, Visca Chanel. I mean, all the USC wide receivers, they had a ton like Michael Pittman Jr. And, uh, you know, obviously he held his own. So I think this is a good pick for the Tennessee Titans here, especially with Logan Ryan not re-signed yet or signed or whoever. So that's the Titans pick. Uh, Pick 62, you know, in the first round, I had the Packers drafting for the future, but this one, the Packers are drafting for the now. And I'm taking Brandon Ayuk, I think is how you say his name. He's a wide receiver out of Arizona State. And... He, honestly, if it weren't for his combine, he might be a first-round talent just because his ability to pick up yards after the catch is, it's first-round level. I mean, once he gets the ball in his hands, he's a threat to score on every single play. Yeah, agreed. Um, some people have said that he is better than Kill Harry. I'm not, I don't know, I'm not completely sure about that. I honestly haven't seen the film on this wide receiver as much, but I have heard some pretty good things about him. And, you know, if there was a solid team for him to go to, I think the Green Bay Packers is as good as any. They're pretty good at developing their wide receivers. Yeah, it's just um, Aaron Rodgers needs someone else to throw the ball to besides um, Devontae Adams. Um, yeah, so he needs someone else to throw besides Devontae Adams, and I think this could be a guy that could go into the uh, receiver room there in Green Bay and be a solid number two. Yeah, I definitely think that his presence could definitely help out Aaron Rodgers now and potentially Justin Herbert in the future, especially because he's such a different receiver than Devontae Adams. Like, Devontae Adams is kind of a bigger guy he can catch jump balls and he's a really crisp route runner versus Ayuka's kind of he reminds me a bit more of like a Randall Cobb type of catch and then run but he's a lot bigger than Randall Cobb was so and he can also return the ball which they could use following not having Randall Cobb or Ty Montgomery no for sure to you son all right so this is my last pick in the mock draft i have the kansas city chiefs and i have them taking the edge rusher out of alabama terrell lewis so this is somebody that i've actually followed for a really long time because he used to be a five-star guy back in the day but his biggest thing when he came to out well i guess i don't want to say it's his biggest thing but his biggest issue i should say 
was uh, probably the fact that he couldn't stay healthy. You know, he had some health problems, but he did finish strong. He had a solid 2019 season with six sacks and whatnot. You know, he's a, you know, he's built like your prototypical edge rusher, 6'5", 262, a little bit on the heavier side. And I think the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, I mean, I don't know. I can't really, I wouldn't really consider Chris Jones as much, but I can't really think of a ton of edge rushers they have that like, you know, that strike fear, that's a real threat off the edge. And so I think getting Terrell Lewis right here, he has a lot of upside if he's healthy. I think this is a great pick uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. Continue to build on that defense. Because you know their offense is a strong point. So uh, why why not improve another area of uh, the team? Yeah, and I think that, you know, they... When you think of the Chiefs, they have a history of good pass rushers. You know, from Justin Houston to Tumba Holly before him. And historically speaking, Derek Thomas... So I think that it's definitely a culture that breeds good pass rushers. And, you know, I think that it'd be nice to have some more exterior pressure for the Chiefs on the defensive side of the ball. And that'll make it easier on the cornerbacks that they don't have. Yeah, I just think this completes the team. Obviously, we haven't taken corners later or earlier in the draft, but this would complete the team. I mean, this gives them another chance to make another run at a back-to-back championship. Yeah, like I said, he has a lot of upside, but he has to stay healthy. He battled a lot of injuries while at Alabama, but when he was healthy, he was extremely productive, and he showed why he was a five-star guy coming out of high school. So, yeah. All right, and for the last pick of the second round, the Seattle Seahawks take Isaiah Wilson. You know, it's uh, we, we have some more flashy picks for you after this one. So don't be bummed out that the last pick of the second round is an offensive lineman, but it's the pick that the Seahawks need to make. Russell Wilson, he was a MVP candidate last year, and he's easily the best player on the Seahawks, and he's the only reason that they make the playoffs. And I think that you have to protect him if you want to have a future. He played lineman for Georgia? Yep. Is that right? Yep. All right. Yeah, hey, Georgia. They had an awesome offensive line. He was a big part of it. You know, contributed a lot to DeAndre Swift's success, Jake Fromm's success. So, yeah, I agree. You got to protect Russell Wilson. <sighs> this has been the issue for the last couple of years with the Seahawks, and they never fixed their line, and it's really annoying. So, I think oh. we've had them drafting an offensive lineman every year we've done mock drafts for the past three years. And they haven't taken one. They've no. taken Rashad Penny instead. Yep. <laughs> and, then, and, then last, and then last year they took a receiver. Oh, the big boy. Uh, Metcalf. Metcalf? Yep. And last year they took DK Metcalf. when Which, they were there, but. <laughs> which it was a good pick, but like, sheesh, guys. You have to draft a lineman sometime. Yeah. Or they still did just run for the rest of his life. Yeah, but let's, you know, let's <laughs> let's be safe than sorry, right? Get alignment. Just get a body up there. Get some new blood on, on that offensive line, honestly. Get a professional there. <laughs> yeah. So that does it for the first two rounds. However, we have some bonus picks for you 
of guys who didn't quite make our two round cut who arguably could, you know, in some instances, but, and these are dream scenarios for us. And I'll let Jesse start it off because he has some of the biggest names here. Yes. Yeah, so again, like Cody just said, we will be going through, I think some of the bigger names that didn't, didn't get said in our first two rounds to wrap this up. Um, so the first thing I have, I'm sure everyone's wondering where Jake Fromm goes. Um, and in my opinion, I think the perfect fit for him, unfortunately for the rest of the NFL is the New England Patriots. I think if the New England Patriots draft him in the third or fourth round, um, he, we have Tom Brady. I'm not going to say he's Tom Brady, but Tom Brady 1.8, not 2.0, 1.8. So <laughs> um, I think I think he can go into that system with Bill Belichick. And I think, unfortunately, like I said, for the NFL, the dynasty continues. And I think Jake Fromm, while he's draft, his draft stock did drop a lot throughout this year, he still had a very good year. And in any other conference with the SEC with Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa, he would be probably one of the top two quarterbacks in the conference. Um, so he definitely still is worth the pick. And I think if New England drafts him, it's a perfect fit. He takes Brian Hoyer's spot throughout halfway through the year. And the New England Patriots don't miss a beat. They just keep rolling with, with the next Tom Brady. Agreed. <laughs> Yeah, simple as that. Cody, do you have anything about Jake Fromm? I mean, I, we've been saying it. We've said it before that Jake Fromm is a good fit in New England. And, you know, as long as they're not trying to tank for Trevor Lawrence, I feel like Jake Fromm would be a good pick. And, you know, I think Jake Fromm is better than anybody that they have at quarterback right now. So, barring that they don't pick up Cam Newton, beats no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Jake Fromm will go to the New England Patriots. We also have Zach Moss, running back out of Utah. Um, a great fit we had for him was going to the Atlanta Falcons. Um, we know the Falcons did pick up Todd Gurley, but obviously, as we've talked about earlier when we are talking about George running backs in the Rams, he is not the power back or the workhorse that he used to be or that he's going to be. Um, and so Zach Moss is a big-bodied running back that could go in and complement complement um, this backfield with a power guy. Yeah, I think I think this is an awesome scenario, especially field and running backs who can catch out of the backfield thrive in Matt Ryan offenses. At, this would be such a good pickup for the Falcons. I think Zach Moss would eventually take over as the lead back too just because Todd Gurley is so wildly and consistently unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we saw it last year. Devonta Freeman was supposed to be great. Um, well, he was he was MVP candidate, and then he got hurt, and then he was supposed to have a bounce back, bounce back year. He didn't have the year that everyone thought he would, but his receiving numbers were through the roof. Um, and that just goes back to what Cody said about receiving, receiving backs in – in the Falcons offense. And I think with now Dante Freeman gone, I think you need to fill that void. And I think Zach Moss could do not just what Devonta Freeman did, but then some. You think Simon. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I like Zach Moss going to the Falcons. You know, he's, he's a tough runner. I'm pretty sure. Right. I think, I think he'd be a solid fit with the Falcons. Obviously they already have Todd Gurley, like you said, but 
you know, it, it never hurts having a younger guy in there and, you know, doing your due diligence, seeing what he could do. He has some upside for sure. Yeah, and I think we could see the upside in the Falcons. Yep. Staying in the NFC South, one name that we didn't get to was Marlon Davidson, who it'd be a bit surprising if he made it to round three. And it'd be even more surprising if he made it as far back to round three as I have the Saints. But I can see the Saints even trading up for a guy like Marlon Davidson, who could be a day one starter in New Orleans. And I mean, I can't think of any defensive lineman that New Orleans has had that would be as good as Marlon Davidson on the inside, you know? And I think that he would open up a lot of, you know, I think he'd take away some double teams from Cameron Jordan. Cameron Jordan. And I think, you know, this is another move that the Saints can make that's definitely a win-now kind of move. I like it. I mean, Sheldon Rakins, he was a DT that the Saints drafted a couple years ago. And he's been solid, but I think it always helps having a backup plan or, you know, even adding another guy on the other side of him just to, yeah, you know, uh, have have a little bit more more power up front, you know? I agree. And then on to the next pick. This is another match made in heaven, especially given the free agency circumstances that we've talked about with the Seahawks. I think if they could, uh, I think if the Seahawks could secure Julian Okwara from Notre Dame, I believe he's from. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's from Notre Dame. I think if they could, they could steal him. Probably in the fourth round, I think, just because there are some injury concerns because he broke his leg. So that's a really bad thing. But, you know, his brother's in the NFL, and he's definitely a prototypical size for an edge rusher and would be a great replacement for Beyond Clowney because I see a lot of similarities and just, like, they're kind of freak athletic build. Obviously, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Beyond Clowney, but I think he'd be a good pick that they could get in the fourth, maybe even the fifth round, depending on how much that broken leg scares people off. I mean, in a perfect world, they draft Julian and re-sign Jadavian Clowney, and then you're set for the future. They could let Ansa go pretty easily, too, yes. if they had Julian. That's very true, yeah. He has a lot of uh, potential. Like a lot of you know these players that are going in the later rounds, they have... They've shown at some point they have a lot of potential, but it's some usually it's something, maybe it's something in their game or their injury history that holds them back. And for uh, Julian, it's his it's his injury history, honestly. But if, like I said, if he comes back right, or like you said, if he comes back right, then he's a great fit uh, with the Seattle Seahawks. Yep. So, another guy that, I mean, I... Personally, I don't know if he would go in the second round. Maybe if he slips in there, cool. But uh, Malik Harrison, linebacker out of Ohio State, he's somebody who could play inside and outside linebacker. But in my opinion, he's a little bit more suited as an outside linebacker, edge rusher type of guy. You know, he's a physical linebacker who's a hard hitter. Uh, his The thing about him, though, is that he just... he just, his, his coverage skills are trash. Like, <laughs> like they're not good at all if i'm being honest like obviously they could be improved on but there's not a lot you could do there 
I like him going to Miami just because you know he is a versatile player. I think he could probably be okay playing middle linebacker if he, if, you know, if you put his haven't put his hand in the dirt and haven't passed rush, he wouldn't be terrible either. So I I like him right here for uh, the Miami Dolphins. You know, a verse another versatile guy to add to that defense. I think it's it's good that Miami finally gets a defensive player in this draft. And I think that that would be a great fit. And I think that, you know, Brian Flores would be a good coach to develop Malik Harrison. Yep. Stick, I him mean, opposite, stick him opposite side of Kyle Van Noy and see who they want to block. For sure. And this isn't on the list. I just wanted to throw this name out there really quick. But uh, Tanner Muse, safety for Clemson. He's somebody who's a lot like Malik Harrison, except he could move a little bit better. Uh, he's a... Oh my god, he's like a 6'2, 230, 220 pound safety that runs a 4'4. I think that's another guy who's similar to Malik Harrison that could, you know, either work out a middle linebacker potentially or maybe someone who could be an edge guy. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, and that brings us to our last name of the 2020 Cycle 365 mock draft. You know, he's not in the top two pick or top two rounds, um, he definitely could be there. And I know I mentioned his name um, a few times earlier in this draft, but um, wide receiver Michael Pittman out of USC. Um, I mean, he's a solid receiver. He can catch the ball. He can run. He can do everything you want in a receiver. I'm going to say a receiver two. I don't know if he's a receiver one. Um, but the place I have him going, he doesn't need to be a receiver one um, because they already have a receiver one. So I'm going with the Minnesota Vikings. I think the Minnesota Vikings could benefit – greatly from drafting a guy like Michael Pittman in the third round. Um, they need to try to continue to um, replace Stephon Diggs, but obviously that's tough to do. But having Adam Thielen and then adding Michael Pittman, I think you can start to work your way back to that dynamic duo where you have weapons all over the field. So I think that would be a great fit for Michael Pittman. I, I personally like that fit a lot. You know, he's a he's a 6'3 big body wide receiver with some speed. And I don't know if he can be, a, you know, a number one guy, but I think he could definitely be a number two or number three guy. His game reminds me a lot of uh, Michael Floyd back when he was good before he fell off. You know, if y'all remember that wide receiver. Yes, Michael Floyd also fell off when he played for the Minnesota Vikings. So <laughs> kind of a scary experience. But no, you're right. <laughs> you just worried, Jesse. But that's all. But no, yeah, Michael Pittman, I mean, they have to re- try and replace Stephon Diggs, and this is probably the best that they can do. Yeah, Tajay Sharp is not the answer. I mean, yes, you can throw him the ball, but he is not the number two that they need. Just so. saying <laughs> that name, Tajay Sharp, brings back. Yeah. But anyways, that does it for this year's mock draft. Tune in. Exactly a week from today recording this, but this podcast will come out at the beginning of the week. So tune in this weekend to see what happens with the real draft. Let's see how uh, close to being right we are. You're right. Actually, let's see how wrong the real GMs. Yes. And it will be interesting to see how this online draft goes. So It reminds me a lot of fantasy football yes. a little bit. Um, I kind of hope it goes by a little bit faster than the normal NFL draft. Just, come on. (laughs) No, they have more time to video edit, bro. They're going to find everything, bro. 
We'll have to wait and we'll see. Stay tuned and uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you around. Yeah, so thanks for joining us on the Cycle 365. My name is Jesse Putin. Cody Stoffer. And I am Simon Voyanos. Make sure to follow us, show us some love on social media, and share this podcast. Peace.